what pops up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some moody flips and popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching And some blind unboxings Full month or movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the box come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG With the other Jason. Welcome back to the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. This is Rule Cyclopedia Part Due. And because it's Part Due, I thought it would be good to have two guests. So in addition to Eric from the Omega 3D Chicken Coop, who joined me the first time, we have Daniel from Bandit's Keep, who sent us about 20 minutes worth of comments. And I thought, instead of playing all these comments, it's easier just to get them on the show. So... How are you gentlemen doing? Good. I'm doing great. Uh, we are dealing with a blizzard here in Northeast Wisconsin, but other than that, we are, oh, nice. we're, we're kicking it. Oh yeah. I, you know, KR, uh, KR King, he, he, I was talking to him this morning. He's like, Oh, we got to finish recording early because we're going to get uh, 10 inches of snow. <laughs> and I just heard from him and he's like, I've already shoveled twice. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. 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 No, the snow blower has been, been rolling. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna wait till morning now though. Oh yeah. Excellent. We got Excellent. this weird like six inches of snow, and then the, then a couple days later it rained like two inches, which is a ton of, oh bad. So it was just a messy goop, but now it's cleared up. Yeah, we've had some here in Virginia, we've had a couple flurries, but that's it. We mm-hmm. haven't had anything sticky yet this season, at least not in this the part where I'm at. So I'm I, I'm gonna be super ignorant, but do you get snow really in Virginia? Occasionally. Not not okay. very often, but occasionally, yeah. Right. yeah. I I grew up in Pennsylvania. I'm used to snow, and you uh, know, but here we don't get it that often. Mm-hmm. But so we normally when whenever I record with Eric, we, we open up, we mention what we're drinking. I'm drinking a oh. Narragansett Lager, which you guys can't see much. But there you go. There you go. I had it, but anyway. So nice. Um, which Daniel might be familiar with Narragansett. I don't know. Uh, Sure. Yeah. Uh Eric, tonight. I am drinking um Juiceler from Drecker Brewing Company. Drecker is in the Fargo Moorhead area, so that's on the western side of Minnesota. And they're mostly known for their IPA. So Juiceler is a double IPA. Um, they're mostly known for their IPAs, but they also make it's a it, they call it beer but it's not really beer they make these fruit smoothie beers so it's basically just like an alcoholic fruit smoothie in a can and they are off the chart so if you ever get a chance to drink drecker highly recommend and from what i've heard i haven't been there but some people i know have gone there um the brewery itself is awesome it's viking themed it's got you know so it's just a cool place to go to and the artwork on their cans is amazing and all their beers fantastic Nice. I hate to, as a Wisconsinite, I hate to admit anything is good in Minnesota outside mm. of the walleye fishing. So it is that is high praise for me to say that uh, that that they have a good brewery there. Excellent. And and Daniel, I'm drinking coffee. I, I, I had thought to put a little bit of uh, Jameson in it, which I might do depending on how this goes. 
<laughs> you can never go wrong with that. You can never right. go wrong with that. There we go. So I, I think before we get into it, we've got, of course, we're going to discuss Daniel's points. We also have a call from Riley from Diegetic Advancement Podcast. But before we do that, I maybe I know before we had talked about my experience with Rule Cyclopedia and Beckme and Eric's, but since Daniel is joining us for this conversation, what are your experience with these products? It you know, if any. <laughs> None. No. No. So I had uh, my only real experience with it is that I had heard it was like the holy grail of old school D&D books. Like people were talking about it. It was expensive on eBay. You couldn't get them. People like, this is the best thing in the world. And then when it became available for print on demand, uh, I got it. And I, I just it didn't blow me away. And I think that's why I think part of the reason why it didn't blow me away is this happened with me with the Mandalorian as well. So hopefully I'm not like, like everybody was saying how awesome it was, but I didn't start watching it till like the end of season one. And I was like, it's good, but really, is it the best thing since sliced bread? And then they brought the little Yoda. But yeah, I don't even get into that, but it, this is not that. This is better than baby, baby Yoda. <laughs> but no, but I think it's pretty high cool. Praise. I, like, I high praise because <laughs> right. I because I like the Mandalorian quite a bit. So that's, that's pretty high praise. No, the Mandalorian is pretty cool, but you don't understand when somebody hypes something up and then you get it and you're just like, oh, it's just another rule book. Uh, for me, it was more than I needed. I think that's my position on the rule encyclopedia. It's got a lot of stuff that I don't care about um, in, in a basic game because I've talked about this before. When I play a basic game, I like a basic game. And when I play an advanced game, I like an advanced game. So I'd like rather play AD&D than, let's say, Rule Cyclopedia if I'm going to do proficiencies and skills and all this other stuff. It just is a different a different kind of game for me. Uh, and that's why I don't – I've talked about this on Rob's podcast about the idea that, like, I don't like the OSC advanced. Like, I have no interest in that because if I'm going to play OSC, I'd rather just play. That. But I think it's a pretty cool book. And honestly, as a single book, it's awesome how much it has in it. And it's funny because I stopped calling in because I knew we were going to do this after – uh, I, you guys have gone through the negatives stuff or the stuff you didn't love as much. And you were talking about the positive stuff. And I'm like, that's some awesome stuff in there. Like the, the, uh, the mass combat and all the world building stuff. It, it seems like it's really got a lot of, uh, great, uh, features that you talked positively about after the fact, but I, I have not played Recyclopedia. I'm a mold very person. So men's are <laughs> no, no, I, that's, I and, and that's understandable. And, and yeah, to be fair, I'm close to where you're at, to be honest. I, you know, I never had it as a kid, never played the edition. I first owned it once I had the PDF and then I got the rules print on demand. And to be fair, it's the equivalent of a modern SRD, which is what it's made Mm -hmm. to be. And that's okay. It's a, you know, it's a rule cyclopedia, just what it says it is. And to the point of Dechedron Joe, who called in on the, on the back cover of the rule cyclopedia, it says, Fully compatible with the new Dungeons and Dragons box set, so it, it even tells mine. you on the back cover that you should buy the black box, and <laughs> which has you, you know. Can I comment on that? <laughs> Does he oh, have the Daniel's black box? Daniel's going off to get the black box. I think. No, no, no. I have, I have, I have my mind too. Okay. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a so I do have it. I'm not just uh, randomly calling people. Uh, so uh, to Joe's point, I was going to call in about that. Actually, I don't agree with him. Because I think when you are talking about Rule Cyclopedia today, you're talking about it as a useful tool for us to have now, not as you were learning D&D in 1993. I think it's a different kind of thing. So and so for me, is it useful to you? If you pick this up now, like you're, you're a person buying it now, right? The, this w- Would this be all you need uh, to play? And I think if you pick up Volve Basic or even even Benser Basic, you could play the game without it. Now, I think you can here. Like, I think you could play the, the game with this, right? It's got enough instruction. That's, Maybe it shouldn't be your first thing you pick up. 
This was the first thing I picked up. Yes. This as a as a as a eleven year old, this was the, the thing <laughs> that my neighbor that my neighbor gave me. He was like, Hey, uh we were playing Dragon Strike, which I mentioned on the previous podcast, which yeah. is a D and D game with a VHS tape. And my neighbors yeah, my, yeah it was so crazy. cool. My neighbors had it, right? And so we played it over there and the neighbor guy next to me, um, he actually worked for Trek, the bicycle company, as a welder. And he's kind of like the single guy next to us. We lived in a trailer park. So it's a mobile home park. So just to give you some perspective, out in the middle of the country, too, of all places. So you can imagine. And, you know, he had heard somehow that we had, you know, been talking about D&D. And he's like, oh, I play D&D. Now they're playing second edition. And they... And I don't know what he started with, but they before that it was first edition. They converted to second edition, but he had Rule Cyclopedia, and he gave me the rule. This thing here in this brown paper bag, this is it. This is the game. Awesome. This 1991. This thing was given to me by my neighbor Scott, and this is the first thing that I used. And did I understand all of it? No, we did a bunch of stuff wrong. Just like you guys have talked about. With your mm-hmm. box sets that you got on Christmas, the red box or black box or purple box, or whatever color box it were. Um, but I did appreciate Decahedron Joe mentioning that because I had totally forgotten about the D&D box. As soon as I heard it on the podcast, I was like, wait, yes. And then it like flooded back from the depths of my brain to the front of my brain. And I remember the box is red dragon right there. And then there's the gold box with like TMAD on it. And then there were several other boxes that were like adventure modules basically there's one with like some undead on the front of it and like yes i i played i own this black box at some point um but i don't have it anymore which is sad and i know i've seen the gold box before and i don't know if i ever owned that i can't remember but yeah that was cool that that cajun show brought that up and yes this it is a complete book um is it the holy grail of books that's excessive in my opinion and we can get into that some more as we go even though it's the first thing i started with and it has a, i have a lot of love for it and i have a lot of love for the known world slash mistara it's not the best rule book anymore at the time it was an amazing rule book for me but mm-hmm. it, you know compared to stuff that we have available now it's it's you know it's not the greatest so so what we want to do we're going to answer these these questions we're going to talk and this is probably going to go from being a rule cyclopedia talk to a D&D philosophy talk to some degree, to be honest, the way a lot of these questions are. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but the first one I want to play, we, we have the, the the other call in. So I want to play that. And then I have an email from Rob over down the heap. And I want to play, or I want to read that. But let's play the call first. And Actually, let me do the email first. I'll, I'll, I'll read the email first, and then we'll play the call, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get deep into it. Um, so ro- here's what Rob C. sent us. Just listening to your episode with Eric about the rule psychopedia and was struck by how much difference the attitude appears to be with that versus BX on rulings, raw, and house rules. If Eric started with this, it provides insight into why he's under the impression that old games were so prescriptive. Compare that to the box checklist you read from RC versus the intro to Moldve Basic or what Gary says in OD&D. One more reason why I think the original BX was perhaps the best TSR version. So I think Rob sees this as a much more prescriptive version, which I agree with. Um, it, it can be. Uh, now, I guess 
So my and I, I know we're going to get into the phone call and I read Rob's email. Jason sent it ahead of me ahead of time and it was an interesting point. So at some point, D&D became prescriptive. And to this day, I believe it is prescriptive. Like when you talk yeah. about Adventures League, what 3.0, 3.5, mm-hmm. Pathfinder, all society did prescriptive. 2E was fairly prescriptive on a lot of rules. Now, did we do a lot of rulings over rules? Yeah, of course, because one, we didn't understand it or we didn't like the rule or we didn't want to use weapon speed or whatever, right? So so we did stuff. So my question to you two, because you're, you're I do have gray in my beard, but it's not as gray as your beards. When, when did this transition happen where it became where D&D became more prescriptive than maybe what Rob is remembering and what you guys experienced early it, on. It's, it's all Zeb Cook's fault. <laughs> Zeb Cook yeah. is the devil. He he came in, he ruined it all. Mentor but was a disciple. They came in, they cleared house. They caused havoc in D&D. That, that's not totally true. Although there may be little parcels of truth in there. Real quick, um, funny Zeb Cook story. <laughs> uh, two game hole cons ago. I am game mastering uh, or overlording solar blades and cosmic spells. Zeb Cook is in the room. I see him. I'm like, oh, cool. It's Zeb Cook because they have big badges with their names. I'm I'm like doing something. Another Twitter person who's fairly popular posts a picture with him and Zeb Cook. And behind him, I can see my receding hairline because I'm game mastering behind him. And that was on Twitter within the last month. And I just thought that was hilarious that I'm my receding hairline is behind Zeb Cook. But anyway, Jason, that's continue true. with yeah. your Zeb Cook. No, hatred, no that's okay. My, my, any, my <laughs> any celebrity story is we're we're traveling cross country. We're going to the Little Bighorn Battlefields, Custer National Battlefield at the time. And, and we stopped. I don't know where we stopped. Somewhere in the mi- middle of the country. And we we're at a little diner. And Pearl Bailey was in the diner. And and little like five year old Jason sticks his tongue out of Pearl Bailey and she, and she stuck her tongue back out at me. So that's that's my big celebrity. That's, cool. that's probably cooler than Zeb Cook. Uh, but tell but, us about no, Zeb I'm Cook in D and D. Right. So I think it changes. <laughs> I, I I think it changes in A D and D, which you know even Tim Cask has said, although he says mm-hmm. they were kind of talking out both sides of their mouth. But even Tim Tim Cask has said that A D and D in some ways was written to be played rules as written um but but that said obviously most people didn't um and they even tell you not to in parts ad and d like the ford and stuff but i think ad and d and menser are where we start to get more prescriptive so beck me and ad and d is where it starts to get that way well yeah, to be i, I clear, think oh go ahead daniel go ahead. sorry well i, I think it's interesting party. that's okay it's interesting because i think that you might be right in the fact that there's more rules to cover things but I think it's the language and the presentation of second edition that feels more like it to me. Like I, I remember picking up second edition. This is as an adult because I didn't play it when I was a kid and reading like rolling up characters and how it says things like, ask your DM if you can do this. The DM will tell you. And I'm like, was was AD like that? And I picked up the DM the other day to look at like how to roll up characters with the different methods. It doesn't say that. It says you want to make sure you have a great character. You don't want a terrible character. You want to make sure you have a powerful character. So these are available to you because rolling 3D6 down the line probably isn't a good idea in AD&D. Like it doesn't say ask your DM. I mean, granted, that's kind of implied in it, but it doesn't have that like in your face that I felt like second edition had. And it's just funny. It's just all about how things are written. So I think that's more it than anything else, right? Because we have uh, example, not example, uh, we have a, uh, a phases of play in BX, right? So it does tell you how to how to play. It does say do this, do this, do this, but it's the way it's phrased that's different, I think, to me. I, I think that that's very important, and I think it's a great point. The other the thing, though, when we look at AD&D, 
and and of course I'm a defender of of AD and D first edition, but mm-hmm. but that those ways to roll your character, you have to ask your D and D because the character generation the this like the seven different methods are all in the DMG, the right the well, I, charts I, and the saving throw I, charts are all in the DMG. So all that's all that's you know that's true. away from you know that the char- the players don't have access to that because they're not allowed to look right. At- well, you know, and that, and that that's just the biggest joke that ever to me, because I've never met a single person back in the day that played that didn't also DM. I mean, I know that they exist, obviously, I know, but we all DM'd and played. So how do you not read the book? And that's just an insane joke that he put in there that people take way too seriously. Oh, there's a lot of opinion. Opinion. There, there really is. I brought that up before. If you read, you know, you, you go read the old like, you know, sports columns or things from that time period. There's a lot of that joking around. They say, oh, and the neophyte goes in the woods to hunt or this or that or whatever. And and they're poking fun all the time. And Gary's using that same kind of tone in in the DMG. There's a lot of that that really is, you know, he's laughing with you. He's not when he's talking about only use TSR brand miniatures, you know, he that's tongue in cheek. I mean, he'd love you to buy TSR brand miniatures, but that's tongue in cheek. He's not saying you can't use anything else. I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people that take the, Gary's tone wrongly. I, you know, much more seriously than he intends it in a lot of cases. Um, so I'll also say uh, that because you were joking about Jim Cook and, and Menser, but yeah. Menser was my understanding based on reading stuff about the time. Yeah, he was yeah, actually the, Gary's. Yeah, uh, uh, Gary yeah. thought that Menser was like the the thing. That's the reason why they redid basic. They were like. You're my guy. You you understand me. We're redoing this whole line with you because he really thought Menser was the guy. And having no, that's Menser, true. who was very nice, uh, he tells you not to use the the Beckme thief. So I'll just put throw that out there right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that that's true. It, it really is Zeb yeah. Cook that's that's the villain here. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It, it's, <laughs> although depending on the story you read, you know. But anyway, um, but we're not here to get in TSR history. Um, did did you have any thoughts on? Any any other thoughts on on that email from Rob or Daniel before we move on? No, I think that's right. I think that well, I think the point that he makes is interesting because I think that right, how you come up is how you think of something, right? If you played when you were a kid, let's say I was a kid and I was playing with my older cousin, and they said to me, "You can't look at the DMG, you can't know these things." Then I would think, "Wow, D and D is really hardcore. You can't be like that." So, who you play with, what you read, how you come up, it kind of informs how you think of games. So, I think it's an accurate statement to say, if you're reading a book that seems prescriptive, you're going to think the games are prescriptive. Whereas there may have been a lot of other games that weren't. You know, whether or not this is super prescriptive, I know Jason was kind of, "You can't play unless you." But again, I, I feel like they were. Again, that was probably while it was serious. I don't think it was. That I mean, in my mind, I, I mean, I could be wrong about that. Maybe they did think, "Oh, stop yeah. playing right now." <laughs> well, 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 but the difference is in the DMG. I think you can look at like the way Gygax writes in High Gygaxian, mm-hmm. and there's definitely some of that tongue in cheek in there, and he's having sure. fun with you, and expect you laugh with him. I don't get that in the rule cyclopedia. I the thing what I read in the rule cycle. Like, obviously, you can how like Eric says you and and they played. You can house rule modify stuff and do whatever. But when you read this book, you don't really get that impression out of this book. You get the impression out of this book that you should play it pretty much the way they've written it. Um, so a real quick insight into that, that the gentleman who gave me this book taught me how to play D&D, right? Because mm-hmm. they had us over uh, to play with them um, a co- like a couple times. And the one thing that he really, in his group, his table hammered home was metagaming. They were 
anti anti metagaming and i carried that for a long time because that was what i was trained on like they didn't talk about like hit points like you couldn't say i'm down to three hit points like they would dock you experience points they would get mad about it like your character sheet was secret no one talked about what their stats were no one talked about their hit points no one talked about what proficiencies they were and even at one point i remember him telling me a story and him being proud of it like one of the characters was like oh use the magic thing and he's like you don't know i have that and instead of using the anti-demon weapon, because he, the other guy, medic, this is him as a player, because the other player metagame towards him, he intentionally used a less effective weapon to teach that guy a lesson from metagaming. Oh my God. <laughs> so that is, so when Rob talks about Eric's perspective, it's of old school gamers, it started there. So for the yeah, longest yeah. time, my perspective was that's how old school gamers are. Right. I'm sure some are. Some new school gamers are probably like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that wasn't my experience back, back growing up. But that said, definitely there are groups like that. And, and I think yeah. that's the thing. We talk about the OSR, and the OSR is one way to play. And the, you know, in theory, rules as written is one way to play. But back in the day, there was no unified, there was no one way to play, even as early as you know, 74, 75, 76. And the, the first years of play, we immediately see divisions and we immediately see different camps on how to play this game. So there's never been, other than the first game, the first time it was ever played, you know, as soon as it got into different groups, it was played different ways. So there's never, there's no official one way to play D&D. And, and there really hasn't ever been, to to my mind. I, I don't know what Daniel's thoughts are on that, but that's... No, I agree. I think that if you look at the, and again, I wasn't, I didn't have a huge group. We played with our friends. I, the only time I saw anybody else play D&D was an older cousin playing with, with, with we had a summer cottage and they were all playing all like the older kids. They were teenagers. I was like nine or 10. And it was the most amazing thing to watch them play, you know? And later when I was thinking back to watch what we play, got the rules and I looked, I was like, oh, what they were doing there, that DM was not what the book says. Like I remember them very specifically using a ring of telekinesis that sticks in my mind to pick up a goblin and spin them around a the room, knocking over the goblins. You cannot do that. Like there's no way that works. In, in, right. in, but they did it and it was amazing. And it was like, it, that's fantastic. Cool. So I think because, right. I mean, it's like, that's like the rule of cool in like 19, whatever, 81. So like I saw that and I was like, that's how you play the game. You imagine. And that's what you do. And that was AD&D. That was first edition. I didn't have AD&D right away. I had uh, a bouvet, mm-hmm. right. Which again is very open-ended, you know, do you, you know, it says literally like within the first two pages, it's like, these are guidelines. Use what you want, throw away what you don't. Right at the very beginning of the book, it says that. Yeah, very cool. Okay, well, let me play this this phone call and and, and then we'll we'll get, we'll get answer Riley's points and then we'll go from there. So I, I'm sharing sound so you guys should be able to hear this as it goes. Hey, Jason, Riley here. Uh, just finished listening to your Rule Cyclopedia episode. Uh, it was really great to hear both of your thoughts on the book. Uh, definitely makes me want to go check it out again, um, reopen the book, and maybe try and get my hands on the black or the gold set. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on whether Beckme or the Rule Cyclopedia benefits from um, being arguably a more complete system than BX and having the same rule system handle um, the whole game. What I mean by that is that Beckme Rule Cyclopedia definitely has support for more tiers of play in it, 
with the domain and, and beyond. Um, but I think it can also potentially suffer from having the same system um, handle all of that. And the one example that you brought up in the show was that the thief skills are stretched over those 36 levels. And to me, that doesn't make a ton of sense that the thief would improve that whole time. Well, at some point they hit their sort of mortal limits of being a thief and then progress in other means, right? By getting a thieves guild and their influence increases, not their thieving skills, or they become immortals and they get supernatural powers, not have a higher chance to pick a lock. Um, that to me seems quite weird. And so I wonder if instead of the same system to handle the different tiers of play, new systems handle those that are compatible and potentially in the same book that's fine but um you know do we at some point get away from hit dice and attack bonuses once we're at 36 level uh it, it kind of seems strange to me but i'm not sure if that's um if there is a better way to handle that but interesting uh discussion and uh, i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that I don't know if I've articulated it terribly well, but hopefully you get my point. Uh, anyway, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Yo, okay. Thank you so much for that call, Riley. Really appreciate it. Uh, does who wants to tackle it first? Hold on. Is I Joe going to call in too? That was that, Joe that's right a, after that. Yeah. No, that, that call is not for the show. That, that's oh, the damn show. it. It's Joe. It's Joe. What's up? Sorry, the what? Crow is the best movie ever. That, that, that uh, was him saying he's excited for my, my blog. I'll play that. I'll play that in a different episode. Um, I'll tackle this because I because I've I think I'm the one that's used the book the most. Um, Now, granted, it was a long time ago, but I did use it quite a bit. Uh, I don't think it suffers at all from it being a all inclusive kind of manual Uh, for for me as a kid. One economically at the time, uh, great. I had one book. I didn't have to spend all my allowance money, which was pretty pitiful on anything else other than a tube of dice, you know, because I had to get some dice and stuff. Um, so it, it didn't suffer from that. And I use this book to create my own worlds, too. I know Jason said that, you know, the known world incorporation kind of limits it. I, I don't think that's the case. It's pretty generic fantasy um, that you can kind of apply everything. I. I do, and we've talked about it. I hate the level system in this. That 36 levels is ridiculous, in my opinion. I'm someone else is like probably throwing their, uh, you know, 20 sided die at the screen or whatever. But I, we never got past like level nine. That's like the highest we ever got. So, and then we move on to something else because at level nine starts domain play, and it's a totally different game at that point. Right. The domain play is different. It's fun. We had, I had fun doing it. Like, you know, my brother has a fighter and he's a knight now and he's got a castle and he has henchmen or there's a thief with a thieves guild and a wizard with a wizard tower and henchmen. And we did mass combat. But then we were like, okay. It was kind of hard. We're like, why is this 10th level like fighter who's basically like the governor of this region? He's not going to adventure anymore. So let's go adventure with their henchmen, like their children or, or their whatever. So the, the level system, I, I always looked at it like, who's ever going to play it, get there, right? Like, I just thought like it's, an, I mean, I, it was like one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, level 99, it's impossible. We're not getting there. So it doesn't really add anything to the game. If, if literally, if the game stopped at like ninth level, 
it would, in my opinion, it would lose nothing. So, which, to, well, I'll, I'll throw it there, or Daniel first. Go ahead. Oh, well, I, I wasn't on that show, so, so I'll give my opinion. I think you're absolutely right. I, I totally agree with that. I think that what are you saying? It was almost what you're saying. Like when you reach a certain level, the game changes, right? It's like a different game. So you're, you are like, why, why are we using hit points and going into dungeons when we're this level and we can be a king or whatever? And and I kind of agree with that. I think that the, all, almost all the games could serve to like stop at an earlier level. I don't know why you'd want to do these epic level things. I was just having a conversation about this, about how in fifth edition, instead of calling it like domain play or something in the official books, it's like metaverse play or something like when they're at the higher levels like they're supposed to be going plane hopping and you know these kind of things and to me that is just that's a different kind of game and i do have a question about this so i don't want maybe this is something we'll table but i just want to throw it out there is so the, to me that looks like there's two different things maybe i don't understand the recyclopedia enough but when you're playing back me you're like level one whatever then level uh, you know basic you have your dungeon crawling expert you have your your kind of wilderness then you reach this domain play and they start adding other things like you, uh, like, for instance, how you can become a druid at like whatever higher level or like they add the weapons, skills and specialization mm -hmm. stuff. That's all stuff that comes at a higher level. And to me, that's just weird. Like, I don't know why you don't get that from level one. And, and that's the part that I think threw me off on the recyclopedia. I was like, cool, but I'm going to wait till level 10 to do any of the stuff that's in my book that I have right now that I want to do. It just didn't feel so I didn't love that. I wish there was more incorporation at lower levels of the whole book it personally is from what i look at maybe i'm wrong that that's not how it plays but i feel like yeah i get it with the box sets because you don't even have those rules right but in the, this book i see them right away right like when you read those rules and it's like well i can't be a druid now i want to be a druid right now like i have to wait till ninth level is that weird or was that just like whatever so no, it was weird you we kind of had to cheat to get there <laughs> because you know, I was like, yeah, you guys level up. You get 5,000, whatever they, because right. we wanted to get to the cool stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we, so I'm just like tossing out XP, like, ah, yeah. you role played really well this session to my eight year old brother. And he's right. like, <laughs> he's like, oh, okay. you really embodied that character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He really, to, sure, to be sure fair, Oscar. You're, you're right about the druid. Now, weapon specialization, yeah, it showed up in the later box sets, but, or actually, or maybe showed up in a module. Or one of the I think it doesn't come until the master's years. edition, if I'm not mistaken. But, it's like in masters. Yeah. But in um rule cyclopedia, you do start weapon specialization at first. You can level. get it right away. Yeah. Okay. But but druid, you're you're correct. But so is it's it's just like the fighters, all the not all the classes, but most of the classes have a choice when they hit that like name level. So mm -hmm. clerics can become druids or they can do something else, and fighters can become paladin or depending on their alignment. They can do different right. things, and so that's kind of wh where that is. But I agree, the druid especially is a weird thing that you you know you've been a cleric for ten neutral cleric for ten levels, and now you're all of a sudden going to become a druid. That that's weird. I I agree with that. Becoming okay, a yeah, paladin so at tenth, you know, you've been a lawful fighter for this long, fighting for the church right. or whatever. Now you want to you graduate being a paladin. I can understand that, but becoming a druid is well, kind of weird. Well, and it, it seems to me, and again, this is just me not not playing it and only having read this and not playing Beck me either, that it seems to me that that's almost like the answer to kind of Riley's question, which is why I kind of brought it up, is that you reach this 10th level and you don't want to have a castle. So now you become the paladin guy. It's not called paladin. It's called like rover or some defender or something, right? It's like Avenger, paladin, maybe. Avenger, maybe. Something like that. Um, and that's like your roving adventure. I think the, adventure. the lawful one is paladin. Okay, but but basically, you can. There's yeah. one version of it where you don't have to have a castle. You're like a roving fighting yeah, person. Yeah, you're a paladin, a right. knight, or an avenger, depending on your alignment. Right. Yeah. 
Yep. So like if maybe that's what that was supposed to fix, right? It's supposed to be like, well, hold on. Not everybody wants a castle. People want an adventure. So this guy can be a druid. You know, they can be whatever the paladin, uh, which I don't know works, but it, maybe it does. Again, I don't I don't I don't have any practical experience with that personally. Yeah. The other thing I think is weird and, and he brings up, I think some of it depends on class, though, because he talks about, you know, why would your thief, you know, your thief, once he starts a thief's guild and becomes the, you know, the head of a thief's mm-hmm. guild, why is his lockpick skills going to keep increasing? Because really, they're probably not, right? Let's think about it. Right. When you move into management, uh, you you might have been, you know, great <laughs> at your job, but at some point yeah. in management, some of these young bucks underneath you are probably going to exceed you. You're going to be better than the new people, but the people that have been there, you know, for a while, are they're doing the job every day, are probably going to be a little better at it. Now, there's some precedence in the literature for fighters, to keep increase, you know, your your fighter mm-hmm. warrior king to lead the army for King Conan to go out and and still be the best warrior in the field, or Beowulf has to go go at King Beowulf has to go out to to kill the dragon mm-hmm. at the end, right? So there's some, right. or maybe for mages, or arguably for clerics. So really, only thieves fail here because even clerics, right? Your bishop, you would think, could turn undead better than the the parish priest. Right. Yeah. So, well, and what's yeah. interesting here too is that I, this is where I think Mulvey, and again, Metzger has used Mulvey Thief, where I think they do it better. When you look at Mulvey's Thief, they basically get 90, 95% by like 10th level on all their skills. And they go up like incrementally after that. Some go over 100. But then it says here, and of course, they never did it. In the third book, because it was almost supposed to be three, Companion, Thieves were going to get new powers. They were going to get, I actually pulled it up, they get uh, new abilities. Uh, the ability to climb overhangs upside down, ventriloquism, power of distraction, and the ability to mimic voices. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, it seems yeah. like a weird thing at a high level, but at least, it, yeah. at least they, the idea was okay, the thief does hands. max out and then they get new stuff. Like, they're like another thing when they get beyond that level. Cause, yeah, why why stretch out the, you know, the climb that starts at 87? <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, no, that's 87 and a half. You know, it's like, well, to, oh, to oh, Jason's oh. point, the reason why the thief has to keep leveling up in Rule Cyclopedia, because at level nine, he's only got a 60% chance to pick pockets. <laughs> right. So he has to keep leveling up because everyone underneath him is terrible at it. So <laughs> he has to yeah, do it. Pick himself. pockets has always been. I, I mean, yeah. it's almost like they included just because they had to, but the but it's so yeah. horrible. You're even in AD and D in all these games, your chance to pick pockets at low levels is so horrible. Yeah, you, you know, you look at AD and D, and we so we're getting off topic just a little bit, but you know, AD and D has the whole thing, and, and M W Lewis will talk about you know, well, if you've never done your thief stuff, I'm gonna dock you. you I'm gonna dock you your ratings give you a low rating when you level up in AD&D if you don't try to pick pockets. But if you're a first level thief, are you really going to try to pick a pocket when you have like a 10% chance to do or 15%? No, because you're going to gonna get your hand cut off exactly. right. in the, the, the brig or whatever. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I can't imagine. There's a reason why thieves don't, there's no high level thieves because they can't get past it because they're all <laughs> dead. Hung, hung from the castle wall. Uh, one hand. <laughs> yeah. well, the, the worst is, I don't know what it is. I, I should look at this, but I'm looking. I got both up on the screen. The remove traps is 10%. And, you know, a lot of people play, they might even say it here, that if you try to remove the trap and you fail, it goes off. So you get 10% yeah. chance when you see that trap that's going to go. It's like, I'd rather just walk away. You know what? I I, I saw the trap. Let's just go somewhere else. We're not, we're not with <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Unless you're going to okay. throw someone into the trap, I guess. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, um, so funny. I, I, think that's a great point brought up in the call and Mm -hmm. it i don't know so it's interesting because yes you're given mechanical ways to do it or let me let me say some mechanical support Mm 
in Rule Cyclopedia and in Advanced Dungeons Dragons 2 on this higher level domain play aspect that you're not really given that that support in BX. But I think you could, especially if you're playing BX, you could grab the AD&D DMG and easily enough, or nowadays there's tons of other books out there you can buy that have domain play, you know, other games that have other things. So you could easily, but you could pick up, say, the DMG, because you should already have that anyway as a, as a role player. You should Everybody should own the AD&D DMG. So you just pick up your DMG and import that stuff into your BX campaign, and, and you're good to go. So hey, Honestly, here, here's where I think I would use this, because the, the War Machine, and this is great. I yeah. like War Machine a lot. I think it's, this is actually what Hyperborea, it's very similar, uses, mm-hmm. and it's it's wonderful. It's easy for people that don't want to play a war game. It's like you do all your math, you do this thing, you roll a couple of dice. And I, I'm assuming this is similar to Hyperborea, because from what I understand it is, where it's even like, okay, you won, but you still take some losses, and you can kind of do all these different things. And I think that's this is a really good, simple system, and I really like this a lot. I wish they had put this in Mole Bay, because as you say, they have like waterborne combat, and they have sieges, but they don't really give you the meat to do it. So you'd have to play it out with hit points and stuff, which, of course, would take forever if you were actually doing it. And to be fair, this is close enough. There are small differences, but it, you could pick up the rule cyclopedia and bring this stuff into BX if you wanted to. This is a rule cyclopedia. My screen is just... Why does yours look different than mine? I don't know. Oh, maybe, maybe it's because you got the... He's got I, the my, blurry background. He doesn't want us to see it. Oh, no. He doesn't want us to see his dungeon. We're all holding it. Yay. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, but, but I think you could you could bring these systems into BX with, with minimal effort. Pretty yeah, 100%. Yeah. I haven't used the mass combat system in 20 years, but uh, I do remember it working well. Um, the, the other thing, too, I'll just re-highlight. There's, there's some encounter building recommendations in here where you can calculate encounter challenge levels this is probably where the challenge oh. level thing first started and i remember as a as a kid like going through that a lot trying to because i will tell you that at least my generation of players that i play with they don't like unfair encounters they don't mm-hmm. at least the people i played with so it was very important at the time for me to try to make fair encounters and one you know i wanted the story to keep going so you know, I wanted them to die against a big bad. I didn't want them to die against a couple gnolls in the plains. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this, was... and, and, and now we're going to get off topic just for a second, but that's okay. <laughs> let me ask you this. So Wandering Monsters, then, did you do a lot of Wandering Monsters? Because Wandering Monsters are where your characters potentially get killed by something that's not so part of So I, part I of avoided game. them for a very long time until I read... I don't know what I read it on. It was a blog or a dragon or a dungeon magazine somewhere where it said, Hey, your wandering monster doesn't have to like show up and attack the player characters. Mm-hmm. So that's how I treat it. I mean, as an 11 year old, that's how I treat it. I rolled white dragon, white dragon shows up guys fight it. You know, they're like, we're level three. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're going to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, well, yeah. And, so, uh... I wonder yeah. too, like, like, and again, I don't know this system. I'm sure it's there, but like, if, if you look at BX, for instance, which is the system I grew, like, they have rules for that, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. what evasion's about, and that's what all this other stuff. So, yeah, like, it, it reaction rules and like all that stuff. That's even in OD and D. So, like, it's there, but whether or not, obviously, you know, um, you don't remember to use all the rules, and I think that's that's a big point. It's like comes down to experience, right? You have to understand that, like, right, white dragon, like, 
it's going to kill the player characters. So do we want it to land there? And you can just decide it doesn't, right? It flies overhead. You could, in fact, the expert book tells you that in the DM advice, you know, don't let a wandering monster on the way to the dungeon ruin your session. It literally says that, you know, so it's like, I think the advice is there, at least in some of the earlier books. I think that sometimes we miss it, especially when we're learning the game and trying to, to play it out. Because I don't think D&D was ever meant to be like, I know that the, a lot of these OSR people play up like this. Oh, it's dead. You die every time. And this is, if the, if the encounter is unfair, that should be obvious. You should see a hundred orcs to your five player characters and have a chance to run. It shouldn't just be like, well, no, you think that you could beat this guy and all of a sudden they're going to slay you. I think that's just a very unfair way to play. And I'm 100% with you. I wouldn't think that was fair either. If I, yeah, you know, I've it, seen people just, do this. They, they'll be like, oh, you know what? You just make one of your orcs like a super fighter that has, that has six fighter levels. It's like, is that fair? Like the play party has been fighting orcs all along. They think they're easy. So they go into this fight. This guy's a six level fighter. Like they, yeah. you need to telegraph that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Like he's wearing like a, ch- a necklace of human heads or something like right. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the rule cyclopedia does have encounter distance. It talks about encounter distance. There's a checklist and it says type of encounter rule one D six every two turns when traveling mm-hmm. and rule one D 12 once during the night on a one an encounter occurs. Determine the type of terrain. And then it says terrain types. And then it goes into encounter distance where it says when parties, when both parties are surprised, it occurs at 1d4 times 10 yards, if outdoors and feet inside. And then if one party is surprised, the unsurprised party notices the surprise party at 1d4 times 10. So I think if I'm guessing, if I remember back to this, I was like, wow, that seems probably like more than I want to deal with as a kid. Right. And so, and the other thing that probably happened is if I tell my eight-year-old brother that he sees a dragon, he's like, well, if there's a dragon there, I'm sure the game master put it there so, and I can probably kill it with my level one wizard, you know, and my one spell and I'm going to charge off after it Don Quixote style. So I think what I did is I just avoided that because it was just, we weren't mature enough to to manipulate it. Now, could I yeah. handle random encounters? Yes. I use them as solar blades and cosmic spells, right? It's like Jason's ship, they're traveling across the galaxy. And I'm like, hey, uh, you know, halfway through your journey, you guys pick up a blip and it's, you know, several thousand miles away. And then it's up to them to decide if they want to investigate the blip. And then if they see it's a giant space worm, it's up to them to decide to go near it and it kills them. At that point, I'm like, oh, it's your ass's fault. I told you it was a... 10 mile long space worm. I don't know why you went near it. Right. Well, that's like an AD and D your gotcha monsters are really there only to punish players when they're doing annoying things. So if the players take their helmets off and listen to every single door, that's when those ear earwigs come in and in ear, you know, you know, that's when those come in. But other than that, you don't use those, right? I just the various psychic (laughs) monsters that, that come after you. They're they're only there if you use psychic power. I, although certain spells will, will attract psychic monsters. Uh, yes. Actually, there's a list of, but but I don't think anybody plays with that because I just can't imagine hating my players so much <laughs> that I make monsters specifically designed to kill them because of their <laughs> behaviors. Yeah, well, there are a bunch in AD and D. Well, I, you know, you won't have that problem in the newer editions because nobody wears helmets anymore. No, oh, well, it, you, you can't see the character's face. It's just like a Marvel movie. The helmet has to come <laughs> off at the final monologue between the yeah. hero and the bad guy. No one That's wears right. a helmet. That's right. Okay. Okay. Well, I think we've right, kind of answered those. So let's get into some. Da- oh. So, uh, oh, okay. I guess yeah. prepared, Daniel, did you did you go through and write down your points? Or- I did. I so I so there okay. were a few things Great. that I thought were interesting points that I had more to add to. I felt like I felt like my <laughs> voice needed to be heard. Uh, Great. So I was t- I I told Jason or I called in because 
one thing that always gets brought up is the magic sword thing, right? We are talking about weapons, but the other thing that's super important is missile weapons. So in a, in a game, missile weapons are super powerful. And I've especially learned this playing OD and D with just three classes, only the fighter can use a bow. And to be able to shoot things from far away is an incredible power. So I think that there's more to this than just damage, right? There's ideas of strategy. And yeah, it might not feel real that somebody can't use something. And I think there's ways to definitely house rule it. But I think that there are reasons. And those reasons might be legacy and maybe don't make sense anymore. But I do think there are reasons. I don't think they just willy-nilly go, ah, they can't use that. Like, I really do think they thought about this. A lot of times people think that D&D was thrown together because the, the the design of it is very uh, rough, but they play tested this. There's tons of people playing it. They, they knew what worked for them. And I, I think that it's a legitimate thing to say a certain class can't use a certain weapon. And I think I, I don't know if I called it to do that. I think the reason why magic users can't use stabs is because stabs weren't in OD&D. They added them later yeah, and they never I, went back and changed the rules. <laughs> yeah, I listened to all your calls. Jason sent them to me. Yeah. So I, I got a couple points on that. Your bow okay. comment makes a lot of sense because – if you think about historically, I, I've done a little bit of research on this. So if someone's more historic historian on this, please feel free to comment. But yeah, the Englishman longbowmen, they trained for years and those bows were very difficult to use. So I get it. Like th- that's why I like the proficiency concept where it's like, hey, the fighter, yes, is proficient with all the weapons, but maybe um a cleric, even though in olden times they were the martial ones, but they were the fight that yeah, but but maybe the the thief is only proficient with a weapon, and the wizard is only proficient with a weapon. So I I get that. I guess I didn't realize of the the magic sword thing in OD and D. In my head, I think of like Gandalf. Gandalf had a magic sword. So mm-hmm. did um, Frodo and Bilbo. And so in my in my head canon, magic swords are what heroes wield. So right. I get that, but I could also see a magic sword that maybe is limited. Like, like if a thief picks up the magic sword, the sword goes, but you're, you're not worthy of wielding me. I mean, yeah, you could swing me around, but I'm not going to give you my powers. Right. It's like if someone picked up He-Man sword, they'd be able to swing it around and hit stuff, but they don't get to turn into He-Man. Um, so, so that's an interesting point of history in the game that I didn't know about. I also, I don't care about the game balance stuff with weapons. I don't. <laughs> so that's the other element for yeah. me. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I, I think I think you probably got my message. I called it a Hyperborea. I think they are a good compromise because Hyperborea, everybody has like a group of weapons. That's like their preferred weapons, I think they call it. So everybody can use a bunch of weapons at the beginning, but then as they level up, they can add weapons. So if you're a cleric, and again, they have a non-proficiency penalty. It's not like you can't use it, right? You just get a, the, the penalty and then you can learn it. You can be like, all right, I've used this this weapon for a couple levels. So now I know how to use it. So I think that's a good compromise too, because you can not start off with people being like, well, you're typically making a choice, right? You're going to be a magic user. You get these spells. You don't get a bow, but you want to try to use a bow. You're going to be terrible with it, or it's going to take you a couple levels to learn how to use it. That's the kind of thing that I like personally. But again, that's me. Uh, but I don't think I think that a lot of times just throwing away a single rule or an idea because you just don't like it or you don't like that vibe, it it, it can it can actually have uh, cascading effects on the rest of the game. You know, and that that's why I look at like level caps are another thing like that. But, you know, when you start looking at these things, it's like, well, maybe you don't care. Right. Maybe it's like, who cares if it's unbalanced? That's cool. I mean, but yeah. if you try to balance it right, then that's, you know, you you bring up a good point because I know Jason's got his hand up. But I'm going to say one thing quick. I changed the luck mechanic in Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells for the campaign I ran for Jason and it changed the game. 
and one could argue for better or worse, but it it changed the game because I changed the way the luck mechanic works. And I remember running Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells at my second game hole con. I was running it fantasy and whatever, but there was a bunch of DCC players at the table and they wanted to use it like fleeting luck. And because of my previous experience, they're like, oh, can I burn my luck to improve my rule? I'm like, it's that's not how luck works in this game. Luck works in this game like... Do you have a vial of acid in your backpack? Roll luck. It's it's a different type of luck mechanic, and they and they were frustrated because they wanted it to work like DCC luck, where they can burn luck and improve their roll. And I had done that previously, and it completely changed the game. And for better or worse, one could right. that's up to you to decide. But it was a it was a different game with the mechanics set that way. One hundred percent. Yeah, you, you definitely have to be careful changing mechanics. I just wanted to comment real quick with weapons before we moved on. I think. Level caps are, are a good place to go after this. But what was I going to say? Oh, well, well, so we're talking about different weapons and all. I just want to mention that the recently, earlier this month, we did an interview with the author of Dragons Beyond. And in that, mm-hmm. which is a retro clone of the, of the 73 pre-D&D rules, the pre-published rules for OD&D. And... In, in, but in that retro clone, they have swords for specialized swords for magic users and, and for some for the martial cleric classes. So, you know, not all versions of this keep magic users using swords in that game. In fact, in that in, in that version of the game, they can also wear armor, but armor will negatively affect their casting spells, but they, they could wear it and be and it be effective. So. Yeah, I just don't know why you would play a fighter then. It, 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 again, if you're looking at like a BX or whatever, like a, why would you be a fighter if the cleric can do everything the fighter can do plus right. cast spells? That's, that's get the, a couple less hit points, yeah. maybe. Now, if you use chain mail like I do, there's a reason to be a fighter. Even if everybody could use every weapon, fighters are just better. Like they really are better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, why everybody gets the same to it for the first three levels, right? I'm sure it's the same in Beckman as it is in BX. It's like that in OD&D. You, everybody's using the same weapons. Everybody's doing the same damage. Why wouldn't I cast a sleep spell and you know, and one hundred percent, right? Yeah, that, that's yeah. why I like the. It's definitely a intentional misreading of the rules, but the there, there's one gentleman that that I've been reading some of his stuff that I can't pronounce the name because it's German, but um, but he intentionally I've talked about this on here before. He intentionally misinterprets AD and D to where the fighter, in addition to the regular attack, they can take an attack per level against one hit die or less oh. creatures. But and the way you can read it, you can see that re- I, that's not the intent, but you can miss you can read it that way and and like say, well this is a verbatim what it says and and kind of get squint and get away with it. But, you know, that doesn't come up that often, so you would get your regular attack against the the fourth level fighter you're you're fighting. If you're, you know, your fourth level fighter, you you would get your strike against your opponent, your you the big the main opponent you're fighting. Plus, you get to whack it for the, you, you know, little guys that are that are swarmed around you too. And, oh, do, and do rangers I, I get like that, that too? What's that? Do rangers and paladins get that too? Well, yeah, I, I mean, they're yeah, <laughs> un, unfortunately, sadly, they do. Yeah, although only single class fighters get to go up each level on the attack matrix uh, to in Jason. That's true, but but th- 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 we're not talking AD. Let's talk about level caps because I know. You know, this idea of the false level caps. And I do want to answer one of the calls that Daniel sent in. And I'll turn it back over to Daniel here here in a second because I know he's bringing his points up and I'm taking the mic away from him. But no, he asked about 
clerics and the and the demi-humans and all. So in AD&D, first edition, only humans and semi-humans can be clerics. So half elves, half orcs. But in AD&D 1.5, once we move into the Unearthed Arcana, 1985 and further, all the demi-humans can be clerics. And in fact, like halflings can be druids and, and things like that. Once you get to ADD 1.5, go ahead. Right. But in my point to there was if you look at the player's handbook, dwarves can be clerics, just not player characters. Not as dwarves. PCs, right. Yeah. But I mean, right. PCs and that was kind of my point. You could say that was my whole point about the level quote. Of course, we didn't play the thing. So let me say what I said. I, I, I agree with Jason. I don't like the false level caps. But I also think that, like, if you're going to not have level caps, then just don't have them, I think is kind of what I was saying. And what you could do is make those level caps for NPCs. You could say, well, there's not that many elves that get past eighth level. So, or whatever it is in Beckme. So, characters can do it, but you're not going to run into, uh, you know, uh, non-player characters. I think that's a good compromise too, because, you know, why have these false level caps? I don't get it. I get level caps and I like level caps, but I don't love the false ones. And I think you didn't like them either, Eric, because you don't like level caps, period. I don't like <laughs> levels at right. all, but let's just get into the conversation of levels. Yeah. Because a game I really like that I think is a, a modern simile of Rule Cyclopedia is Hero's Journey 2nd Edition. And it does the same thing. If you're playing uh, The Hobbit in that game, because it's a it's a it's a it's it's very Tolkien esque, you can't get past like level four knight because that's one of the character classes. I'm like, I just don't understand why. Why can't? Are you telling me that because I am a halfling that I can't become a level ten knight? Like I can't. Ma- I why? Why? It doesn't make sense. The same thing with the, the elf size in this of a book of a sixth grader. You, you know, mm-hmm. but my skill can still get better i mean like there's time so i will tell you this uh i i used to do brazilian jiu-jitsu the guy who runs the gracie brazilian jiu-jitsu here in green bay one of the gracie gyms is small he is five six and 140 pounds i am five ten and 230 pounds i am way bigger than him guess what he can do to me whatever he wants so if that halfling were to train a ton, he like, I just, it doesn't, I just, I don't like him. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Why, why is an elf who can be like, are you telling me Elrond's level nine, like in Lord of the Rings? Like he's, can be a bazillion years old. Like his skill is like, at some point he's like, eh, I just don't want to get better anymore at fighting with the sword. I've like maxed out, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. It just, it breaks my immersion when i'm looking at that and that's the first thing that goes for me i'm like level caps gone you can if we're gonna have levels you can level up to level one trillion if we get there which we're never going to but <laughs> that's just the first thing that's so, out the window for me real quick minor diversion i'll throw it to daniel i'll shut up because i'm talking too much have you ever no, seen no, I I, i'm sure you haven't because i'm the only weirdo that watches this stuff are you familiar with wing 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 is a filipino he's dead now but sadly but he was a, a he was two foot nine and he's a Filipino film star and he's in these martial arts movies and spy movies. It's great. I'll I'll, I'll put a link. Oh. I'll, I'll shoot. I'll put a link in the show notes for the viewer, for the listeners. And I'll shoot, I'll put a link in the discord for you guys. It, it's great. He's like, you know, he's this high and, and he's doing all this. I, I mean, obviously, it's, you know, contrived. But that when I think when I watch like that, that's what I think of when I think like halflings. You know, I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, I, again, I don't necessarily – I like level caps only because I like players to make a choice. So to me, it's a choice. I want all this stuff up front, 
or I want my character to eventually go further. That's all it is. If you don't want that, then that's also fine. But then why would I play a human magic user when I could play an elf, see in the dark, be immune to ghouls, speak extra languages? You know, why would I do it? Like, what is the purpose of having the other things? So I guess my answer to that would be, if you wouldn't want level caps, then I would just not have all the extra abilities. I would just say, okay, that's fine. Then elf is just a human. It's just flavor. And I'm fine with that as well. I don't have a problem. I'm just, I like it in my game. And in fact, my player that's been playing an elf for uh, almost two years in the ODD game reached the maximum level. And when we when he got there, he was thinking as he gets to the closest to the next level, he's like, wow, I'm not going to go past that. And he's like, but you know what? My character was the sole survivor for a long time because I had the ability to wear armor. I could use weapons. I had spells. I kept this party going early on. Like that was the thing I made. I was the most powerful character in the party at lower levels. Now, eventually the human magic user is going to be better because he had to stay in the back and not be able to do this thing. So it's it's a gameish thing. If you're not into the gameish and you're trying to be real, I get you. I also don't think like five, six versus five, 10 and that even the weight difference, that's uh, a halfling is three feet tall. That's a child. Could a child that played, you know, did, did Jujutsu beat you? I, I just don't think so. But again, it, I don't really care about realism in the game. I just, I don't care about that. I I think of it as a game miss thing. Like when you read The Hobbit, like Bilbo is done, right? Like he wants his little stack of gold. He wants to retire. You're playing tropes in these early games. And that's the yeah. trope. The elves and, are going and, off somewhere. Right. And also, Gygax I, doesn't want yeah. you playing those characters. Right. He also. wants you playing a human-centric game. Which is the other? Is yeah, that's the other part of it. So, so well, I will, you, what what, yeah, what I find funny because I've heard this whole thing about Gygax wanting to play human centric games. Right around mm-hmm. the corner, I have a, a a Raspberry Pi emulator four player arcade machine that I bought a couple years ago because I'm a mega nerd and I have disposable income nowadays. So I bought this thing and it's got the D and D games on it because I love those games growing up. Like we go to Six Flags Great America down in Chicago and I'd go to the arcade and I'd find the D and D arcade game and I'd burn every quarter I had on it. The 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 character when it shows the character high scores on it, all of them are elf, and the name next to him is Gygax. So Gary played an elf in that arcade game. He's always loved elves. He just didn't want other people to play them. You are correct. <laughs> no, I, I, again, I don't know about that. You also hear he hates wizard, but he played the two most powerful wizards in the in the game. But yeah. forget about what Gary liked. What they do say in Advanced Dungeons Dragons, so you can read a little bit into psychology of it, is that when you look at an elf, they can be fighter, magic, user, thief, or whatever, right? So they do have these level caps, but they have all these extra abilities. So if you are tripled classed and you're moving up, by the time your your human gets to 12th, 15th level, you still haven't reached your level caps yet because you're going slower because you have this. And again, it's, it's a gamist thing. It's nothing more than that in my mind. I don't at all think there's anything realistic about a hobbit not you know, being a higher level. I mean, I, I, I couldn't care if you want to be a 100th level hobbit or not. But I think that if you're going to do that, you have to consider why are we giving these people these special abilities? Like, why does the elf get all this? Like, BX would be a perfect example. Never play a human fighter. A dwarf is way better. And only because if you only go to 14th level, I think dwarfs go to 12th. Like, really? For two levels, you're going to play a human? It's like, it's not worth it. It's dumb, right? Why would it's you ever do you, that? It's because you have in your head the, the vision of the human character. So it's more, yeah. it's less about the mechanics. And it's more about what you want to play. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what people do. <laughs> funny enough, I, funny enough, I am fortunate to play with a lot of people that actually, and I'm one of the people that will do that. But at the same time, most people won't. They'll look and just go, why would I play? I'll just play a dwarf and act like a human. Oh, you know, my dwarf is pretty tall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like he's like extra tall dwarf. Yeah, yeah. So so the game, I think, that does this very, very well, and I'm very curious to see uh, how the actual game comes out, the new one, is so you got um, Shadow of the Demon Lord. 
is is very very good if you haven't looked at it when it comes to balancing the species and the classes because it's 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 uh you have your novice expert and master path and when you level up you get to pick something from each of those paths as you go up and it only goes to level 10 because it's like hey the, it, the whole point of the game is to chronicle your 10 most important adventures through the, the career of your character and ignore all of the middle stuff, right? And I'm really curious to see, I'm sure Shadow of the Weird Wizard is going to do a very similar thing, but it does it very excellently because your characters are going up with each other as part of the mm-hmm. story. So the level is, it's irrelevant, right? Because you 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 all level up at the, after the adventure. You all level up after you all get to pick something from the next path and that that's the type of games that i like now is games that are more about milestone types even though there was recently some mega hate towards milestones um on twitter but that's what i like i just i'm kind of like unless it's a game that's emulating a jrpg and levels are very important in jrpgs i'm kind of like over the whole level thing i like i just don't even want to like deal with it understandable i mean it's not not for everyone uh you know there's different different ways to play it and i don't have an issue with that i was more just i don't love i understand why they're there again going back to the weapons thing like i get it so if i'm playing this game then i have levels if i if i don't i'll play something else i mean i can play brp or you know anything like that that doesn't have levels and, and be good like that uh myself 100 <laughs> <laughs> okay, well if you use the, 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 the d20s that are labeled one through nine okay. or zero through nine <laughs> I have those. Um, yes, me too. But yeah, let's let so so let's move on to our, to our next point. Go, go ahead, Danny. Okay, what else I say? Is the next thing the Thacko? Sure. All right. So I guess I guess my issue with Thacko was, and I'll just say, it, is I don't love when people say that it's complicated and that's why people can't, can't get into it. But I did stay, and I think this is probably maybe what you're coming from is if you came from a game that uses ascending armor class, sure, Thacko looks weird as hell. But if you've never played any game, then why is it a barrier to entry to follow the rules of the game? One yeah. thing I will say, though, is that, and I, I think I said this in my call, I'm trying to remember what I could, is that the thing about that, though, that I don't like mostly is I don't, I like the charts better because AD&D has, you know, you reach like, it's like, you know, 18, 19, 20, 20, 20, 20, mm-hmm. 20. So it actually changes things. And when you start having like negative three, negative four armor class, and you're fighting against, let's say, a fighter, they actually can hit you at the 20, but they can't hit you. Whereas like in the Thacko system, they can't, they need a 24. They might not be able to achieve that, Right. So what you end up doing, and I guess these the uh, the solution to this that you get in modern games is a natural twenty hits. I guess it's in BX two, natural twenty always hits. But the reality is that a fighter with a plus three strength can roll a seventeen and hit like armor class negative five. But that's just not going to be the case in Thacko. That that's my issue with Thacko. But I just don't love the the. It's a barrier. I I just don't get that. Like I, I just I don't see anybody having a problem playing a game if you teach him that game the way it is, but I, you know, whatever it may be the simple, I think I threw this out actually recently on my podcast about is it really a simpler game easier for new players? I'm not sure that's necessarily the case, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. I probably am. I, I only have anecdotal experience with this. Right. And I would say that, that the people that I started playing with, this was their first game mm-hmm. was D and D. There were no other games that we started with. Um, and then they did struggle with that go in, in many cases. And that's just anecdotally. That's like I said, I don't have Mine a large well. sample size <laughs> size for that. I, I personally never did. And one of the things that would frustrate me is I was the game master and I knew what everyone's stack was because mm-hmm. I, 
I sat in my bedroom <laughs> studying the Dungeon Master Guide and the Player's Handbook and reading through it because I was obsessed with this stuff, right? So someone would roll, they'd roll a 15, and I'd be like, their attack goes 17, they hit armor class 2. And they'd be like, oh, and they'd be sitting there and be like, you hit armor class 2. Because I, I didn't want to wait, right? right? But there was there was a lot of people mm-hmm. that struggle with that. So that's the only reason why I say it, it's a barrier because yeah. it's it is not as intuitive as some other systems. Now, I will fully admit, and this is also anecdotal, that I have played games where we're using a roll under system and people have struggled with it. They're like, what do I roll again? I'm like, you roll the D20 and you got to get less in your agility. And if you get less in your agility, you succeed. And they're like, they roll, I rolled a 16. Did I succeed? I'm like, what's your agility? <laughs> you know, I, I know I sound kind of probably condescending right now. Wow. In my head, that's what's happening. I'm, I'm obviously nice in game where I'm like, sure. oh, well, what's your agility? But it is frustrating because I, I don't yeah. have very many skills, but one of my skills is, is simple math. I, I just have that. I When I, yeah. I joined the Navy, it's one of the things I did in the Navy. It's one of the things I do now. It's carried over. There are plenty of other things that I suck really bad at. Um, but one of the things I can yeah. do is like quick, easy math. So it, it is for me frustrating, but I do see a lot of people that struggle with like the just what I consider easy mechanics. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Like I say, I'm not a big fan of Thacko itself. Like I don't love Thacko being written on the sheet. I'd much rather have the combat chart. And I guess in my experience, that's how I teach you people usually with swords and wizardry and that's my go-to game for all new people who have never played anything swords and wizardry is what i run and i just write the combat numbers on the bottom and i go when you roll your die look at that tell me the the number that you hit and then they have no problem with it but i think if they had to do the math you're right they might pause for a second and go oh hold on because i don't think and i think i mentioned to him i call that i sometimes use target 20 if i'm not going to do that yeah which is just you know add this to your number like roll die and add two if they're armor class two and if you get 20 you hit you know, but you still have people, even with that, they'll go, I rolled a 21. Do I? <laughs> yes, you beat 20. Like, so you do have that. You're right, 100%. And people also don't love to roll under sometimes. It's weird, right? They're like, they want to roll high. They feel like that needs to succeed. So it's like, oh, I rolled a 20. And it's like, well, it's a roll under system. That's like a critical fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I just think, I think all systems can be complicated to all people. And I just, I feel like that's one of the ones that's thrown under the bus a lot is uh, descending armor class. I mean, I don't care. Again, I don't really have a, a a dog in the fight there. Like I don't, I could play either and I do play both. So, I mean, I don't even use armor class in my game anymore. So. Yeah. I, well, I, that's I, another think thing. Just, I, I don't like armor class either. So. That's another. Yeah. Well, I think it just shows why Rollmaster is the, you, you know, the best system because you're doing yeah, roll sure. high and you're using percentile dice. So it's, you, you know, we're hitting, checking all the boxes. So. Um, yeah. Percentile is so much easier. It is. And, you know, without doubt, but we've even done. Joe like, from disagrees. Yeah, I, I've even gone on Eric's show and done a show about that. But. We do. There, if you, if for any listeners uh, want to go back to the archives and the Omega Three D Chicken Coop podcast in the olden days, Jason and I talked about the D one hundred. Oh, that was the big ball one. I have to listen to it. No, no, we didn't talk about the big ball. That's <laughs> was, we might have mentioned that one's was, still rolling somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're looking at it. You're like, nineties. Uh, I don't know what that is. What's the number that we're on? Oh man. Okay. So right, cool. What else? So what's our next point here, I guess? Uh, I guess I, uh, okay, right. And I was just talking, uh, uh, okay, I talk about backgrounds. Yeah, oh, backgrounds. right. I didn't, so, love, I didn't love, again, the way it was written. Like, mm-hmm. the way that you were saying, like, you're not trying hard enough if you don't, like, come up yeah, with a level. Agreed. That was weird. I, I just didn't love that. I, mean, I don't I have like anything else to yeah. add to it. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. It's, I don't like games <laughs> yeah. that say, do it this way. I just, yeah. like, anytime I see that in a game, I'm like, oh, yeah, watch me do it the opposite <laughs> way. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. I just I just think the way it was written, because I actually like backgrounds and I like people saying, hey, I'm from a fishing village. And then saying to them, if I don't have a plan, I'm like, well, where's that fishing village? What's it like? I don't yeah. mind that. That's totally fine. I don't like when players just try to shove it in the middle of the game without asking first. <laughs> like yeah, you get to town like- and they're just like, oh, by the way, I have a hundred gold pieces stashed on, the, on a rock in this town. Oh, really? <laughs> when did that happen? You know? <laughs> yeah. Or they're like, I'm a cybernetic cat golem that has psionic powers. And you're like, right. wait a second. We're playing a mud core fantasy game. <laughs> like, no, I bought the supplement book and it's in there. So right, I get right. to use it now. Oh, man. Too funny. Uh, so maybe going with the backgrounds, you, there, yeah. you, you you had a call about the the gnome worlds, the background setting. I I might have oh. listed that as a negative, but it was a soft negative because I was looking yeah. for this list. I don't think it's a a horrible thing, but I do think the rules like Peta has more of a baked in setting than say AD and D does. I, I think. See, I I somewhat disagree with that. Did I say that? Because I, I maybe I didn't. I think the AD and D does have a basic baked in setting, and I think it's Greyhawk. Uh, Everything in AD&D, the character classes, the spells, all that stuff is based on Greyhawk. You're playing Gary's world. I, everybody playing D&D is playing in a setting. Like, what is the cleric, right? It's it's a D&D setting-specific thing. So, well, I know what you're saying. Like, no world is like they're telling you what towns are. I, I think any game you're going to have to add your own flavor if you want to change it. Because otherwise, we're all playing in the same world, roughly, no? Or am I being well, too, Well, like, sure. But when you look at deities <laughs> and demigods, that's not the Greyhawk. In fact, Greyhawk deities aren't even in deities and demigods. That's correct. I, I would agree with Daniel on this one and disagree with Jason. Like when you go to the known world outside of the monster <laughs> manual. So, so, okay. So what are the basic classes in this book? Fighter, thief, cleric, monk, which the, the known world doesn't even really have any monk thing. It's like it, the monk class is the coolest class in the book. It doesn't really fit the <laughs> setting, but it's, it's really cool. Um, so I, I just think the setting is Gennaro, what we know as D and D. That it's like it's got all of the regular D and D trappings. There's mana cores, there's cyclops, there's minotaurs, there's orcs, there's bugbears, there's gnolls. It's you know, it, it, there's nothing. Elves are old, dwarves are old, dwarves live underground, they mine for things. Right. There's hobbits that are called halflings. You know, That's right. they have hairy feet and they smoke long pipes. Well, and, so and I did say it was a soft. It, it was a soft negative. I, you, you know, it wasn't like the end of the world. Negative, rejecting that stuff out of there like. Yeah, I just think that there's a general <laughs> I just think there's a general vibe to the whole thing. I mean, I mean, I don't mind have a setting, having a setting. I probably would never use it personally because I love making my own stuff, but I don't mind that it's there. I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, in in because they actually started that right in the the very first like you create your own uh a domain level thing or whatever in the expert book of old phase where they create part of the known world. That's like where it comes from. Like they're just yeah. creating part of it to show you how to do it. And I think that's all they're doing. They're they expanded in the uh, X one, right? The the island there because well, now I'm losing my my OSR cred, not knowing the name of the Isle Dread. Isle Dread, there you go. Dread, yeah, yeah well, there you go. Yeah, and to be fair, if you're going to have a baked in setting, the known world's a pretty great setting. It, it really is. It you know is it my favorite? Eh, I I don't. I really like Palladiums. Hyperborea's Flat Earth is really cool too. There are some really cool settings out there, but Mystera. The known world is a really cool setting, so it's not like it's a lame baked-in setting. It, it it's totally usable right. and and has a lot of stuff in there. Hollow Earth, all kinds of crazy stuff. So it, it's actually, if you're going to have a setting, it's a pretty darn good one. Jason's yeah. just saying that to make me not feel sad no, I'm, about I'm, my childhood. No, I'm being honest. <laughs> I I do think it. I like it better than the than 
the little I don't know Pathfinder that well, even though I'm playing in a Pathfinder one game. But you you know the Pathfinder not, setting seems to be a lot more. This is sort of the G. It's not God. I want to say Gondor, but it's not Gondor. No, it's it's Galorian. 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 Yeah. It's it. It's oh, like but you have like cyborgs like, in one part of it, and and this and that part of so it. Wild it's, it's just. Weird. It's very much like the modern version of the realms. It's yeah. a lot. It has everything. It's the buffet at Golden Corral. You want prime rib? It's there. You want crab legs? It's there. <laughs> Right. You know, I don't mind that, but I want to make it myself, I guess. Like, I have that weird stuff in my world, but I don't want somebody telling me that they're cyborgs, right? I want to put my own cyborg. You know, what's interesting is look at something like RuneQuest, right? Mm-hmm. RuneQuest is hardcore baked in setting. That's what I would call baked in. Like, that that yeah. systems around that. You're in cults. Cults have different powers. And I'm not a master of RuneQuest, but my understanding of it is that, in fact, they even, like, where they stopped making it, they switched it over, and they kind of went away from Glorantha. Then they came back and literally called it RuneQuest Glorantha because people love the setting. So there is a baked-in setting. I think that's really a. So if you don't like that setting, don't play RuneQuest because it really. I think that really is baked in. This this I feel like you could play anything. It's it's effectively D and D, but it just gives you something to work with. No, and that's, that's totally fair. But it it's Glar- yeah. Glarian, I think is the name of the. I'm sure what? Joe is screaming right now at his yeah, podcatcher. No, He's flipping tables over in his apartment. He's like, <laughs> "Yeah, no, it's Galarian." Is the um, that that's what it is. But okay, um, well, right, okay. The next thing I have is basically just agreeing. You went into the positive stuff, which was great. I stopped calling during most of the positive stuff. So, so but because I was, I knew we were going to do this, but. uh I, I also love rolling random magic items. I, I thought that was awesome when you're talking about it. I could just like I, my eyes like lit up. I, I same thing. Like just sitting there as a kid, just rolling stuff up and being like, "Oh man, this sword! I can't wait till they get it." Or this magic carpet. I, I love that kind of stuff. I think that's amazing. Uh, and the same thing you were talking about the art. I didn't call about this. Is really, how you sat down. Like I just remember as a kid, like looking through. For me, it was AD and D. Like flipping through the books and just being like, "This art is my game," you know. And I think that's such a such a uh, an important point, right? I think that the 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 way the book feels, the way you read it, the language, the art is kind of how you envision your game. And if it's one, of, if it's your early game or first game, it definitely affects how you play and how you think. So yeah, I, I, I love that. Yeah, what am I? I don't. I'm gonna Harrigan message me. I don't know if he wants me to talk about this, but I'm going to anyway. It's not like it's controversial, but he said when I talked about the game, the rule cyclopedia. He because him and I talk a lot, like in Discord, just like one on one, and he said now I understand you better because I talked about a lot, like why I like the high magic, high fantasy. Like I like I tell you, magic. I like I remember like one of the first magic items I ever handed out was a horn of blasting. And I think awesome. what I'm what I'm remembering is it does two d six damage. It might do three d six. I don't remember, but like that's what sticks in my head. So my brother had that. We we had the 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 pocket fortress. I can't remember what it's called. Where you can like throw up this metal tower like in the middle of nowhere, right? You know, my brother's character's a monk riding around in a blue dragon with a lance and like all Wanda fight. I mean, it was like ridiculous, right? It was totally money hall, and. Yeah, I just I just loved it. I remember like getting the treasure table and being like, oh, they, they're gonna fight a hill giant, they're gonna kill a hill giant. We killed one in um uh Carl's Broken Lands game. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is Carl, I don't know if you knew this, but he helped me uh achieve a dream that I've always wanted. And I believe it is in the 2E monster manual. The bugbear is wielding two maces. Is it? dual wielding mace bugbear and guess what i was able to achieve in broken lands which he's using rule cyclopedia is i had a dual wielding mace bugbear at the end and one was a mace of disruption 
which amazing disruption <laughs> annihilates undead. It was awesome. And then his other weapon was like a plus three mace because we killed this hill giant and I got this mace of disruption. And like, so that that's cool. That made my character. Yeah. So my character had two magical maces. He had a magic rope, which I used to like do like things like I'm sure that we were abusing the rules, but like like snake down and like choke guys and drag them up. We were bugbears. We're pretty evil. And then I had a drinking horn that I won through carousing that actually healed people. Like I could, like I could, yeah. So my character was made. He, yes. Was he just a fighter? Yes. He was like, fighters are very boring until you give them awesome magic items that that's what makes the character, you know? So you think of every fighter in every book that in crawl, the, the main character, he's, he's like a fighter, right? What makes him cool? His, the weapon, like outside of that, he doesn't have any other like cool special powers that I remember. Um, what was the other movie with the, the cheesy green orb on that's how yeah, they the power of love. Yeah. What was the other uh, the other <laughs> movie we watched that I thought was actually pretty good, but a lot of people hated it. It was the one with the the green or the hand on the green orb. Hand on the green. Oh, oh, uh, uh, the sword Hawk Slayer. Hawk the Slayer. Oh, Hawk Slayer. Slayer. Yep. Yeah, okay. Hawk the Slayer. The sword, even though it was not yep. really well utilized, that sword kind of made him right, like yeah, the mind that, sword or whatever. The mind yeah, stone. the mind sword. The elf mind stones. Mind powers, yeah. but anyway, I think that that magic items make characters, especially in a game where there's not feats or we or other special abilities to take. You have to give them magic items. Otherwise, what am I doing every fight? Uh, roll to attack. I roll to attack, and you know, and depending on the game master, it's people are like, oh, you could do all kinds of cool stuff. Well, not if the game master doesn't let you do cool stuff. You're right. like, I want to disarm them. They're like, okay, you can, but it's like negative twelve. Like, okay, I guess I'm not going to do that. Then I'm going to attack. Well, well, and that's an advantage of rule cyclopedia because with the weapon specialization stuff, you have some really cool abilities. When you look at that, you can throw weapons. You can't normally throw it. You know, when, with weapon specialization, you'll boost your armor class because you're Mm -hmm. whirling your sword around in front of people. You can scare people away because you're whirling, you know, Arnold comes up, he whirls a sword around and guys run away from him. All that stuff. It's like the PD. It's great. Yeah, it's cool. And and, and a modern game that reminds me of that is, um, Ash, uh, second edition. Well, DCC because it has, gives you the... well, with the, yes, with the, the mighty deeds, that's yeah, the coolest yeah. part of DCC without a doubt. Um, but Ash has a lot of like the cool th- things you can do in combat. That's why I really like <laughs> Astonishing Swordsman. Yeah. So another game I'd run over Rule Cyclopedia right now would be Ash second edition. I haven't looked at third edition, but Ash is another game that I would, it's just cause it's more modern outside of, I don't like the initiative system, which I think we've talked about before. I, I like that. That book is better even if i'm not like a like a hyperborea fanboy I, I like that's the that like when i bought when i got the ash book because it was on sale and i love the cover art uh which was cool i got to tell telania at game hole this year that i saw he was there and i was like dude I, I love that book like the cover art's awesome he's like i appreciate it anyway so when i got that book and i started flipping through it that is a book that gave me heavy rule cyclopedia vibes when i was going through it like it like I, other people are like eric you're wrong but at least for me that's what it did. It like it was like, oh, I'm like, oh, I love this book. Why do I like this? I'm like, oh, this reminds me of Rule Cyclopedia. And the book I have even has a giant snake on the front. So it's got giant <laughs> worm, giant snake. So it's kind of like just kind of connected things for me. I could see that actually. I, I really love Hyperborea. And and I, I I think that I could see it in the way that it's got everything self-contained. It has the system, same uh, combat system to the war. I love the extra fighting skills. 
I, I think I always think of it being like eighty and D to me because of his language, like the way he writes is very evocative to that. And I always tell him whoever suggests, like I love the way you write stuff. He's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> he's yeah, I know. Like, I know that's his. I know that's his yeah. thing. Was 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 uh, AD and yeah. I just I didn't yeah. have AD and D. Uh, like right. I, what's funny it was like to me AD and D one E is like history of the world. Uh, <laughs> like I didn't even know it existed. Like I had two E yeah. and I had rules encyclopedia and the neighbor guy. Finally, he's like, oh, have you ever seen my one ebook? And I looked at it and I was like, this is gross. I don't like it. And I like threw it. I mean, I was like 12, right? So, yeah. no, 100%. But that's what's kind of funny, right? We, it, this is a modern game that captures a certain vibe that people that started with different games, but they're, that goes to show you that it's so much more similar than there is difference, right? Because we, we both have kind of different starting points, but we both looked at that game, which is kind of a, a retro clone, not really retro, yeah. but, you know, uh, but it, it's got a world just like the, this, it's got the, the extra fighting abilities. What what I was going to say about that and see I'm glad I didn't call in because I would have <laughs> shown my ignorance is that I was thinking that you didn't get the the fighting uh, skills until you got to higher levels the special skills and to me well, I was like well that's up. kind of yeah they build up over the yeah list. and like that's the thing it's like if you have to wait well I guess well yeah they build up but you can still get them early right I mean you could yeah yeah because yeah. the thing and is you if you, you can't get them until you're high level then kind of all that seemed weird to me but again i didn't know that so i'm glad i didn't call it and see and be wrong about that for some reason and again because i had in my mind because i had seen people talk about back me and they talk about when they added these things and they'd be like oh master now all of a sudden you have these uh extra abilities you can do with your weapons it's like well you couldn't do anything until you're 17th level now all of a sudden you could swing your sword around it's like it just seemed weird so incorporating it at lower levels here which it seems to do uh if I'm understanding it correctly, is really good, you know, and I like that a lot um, because I think you're right. Doing cool stuff and right, you're, it is very DM dependent, right? You have a DM that's just like, ah, sure, you can do a called shot, but it's going to be this or it's going to be that or you know, oh, you want like very, very particularly. I was playing in a game once. Yeah, you know, years I think it was Lamentations were playing, and the uh, the character was like, oh, I'm going to light my torch or something and throw. I hear what they were going to do something very basic, and they failed. They rolled. They failed it, and the DM was like, okay, you burn yourself. It's like you burn yourself. Like he couldn't just do the thing. Like you're making him like burn himself because he didn't roll successfully. How about he just didn't work? You know, it's like, but that's how some people run the game. And you got to be like, so I do understand having a little bit of a defined rule set can be useful depending on who you're playing with. I I definitely do see that. I mean, I don't particularly like that stuff in my game because I don't feel like I need it. Like people can do what they want and because I'm pretty flexible, but you have to know that, right? If you sat down with me, you wouldn't necessarily know you could swing off a chandelier until, you know, until you tried. And yeah, I wasn't I'm, a jerk about it. That's <laughs> that's that's what I preface to everyone yeah. is when I sit down and play because you know I took a, a, a previously documented Jason I talked about and I won't get into details, but I took a break from the game because of kids. And when I came back, that was like one of the big things that I kind of changed with my game mastering was like when I'm at a convention game, because I don't know the person's history. Like if they're coming from Adventures League, from what I understand, Adventures League is very rigid because it's it's like like a structured play so someone's coming in i always like tell them I'm like hey listen uh tell me what you want to do and i'll tell you what the probability of success is based on the mechanics that we're using and we'll go from there and, and if there's something you want to do to improve the probability of success like let me know like so if i tell you it's 50 50 whether or not you can jump the chasm and you're like well what if i get a running start i'd be like oh okay well you're running eh, now it's 60 40 like okay what if i'm running and like the dwarf grabs me and throws me i'm like oh, okay 70 percent chance you know like i you know, just right. start like going from there so um but i can tell you i know and going back to kind of rob's email it wasn't like that when i was growing up um and i wasn't necessarily like that 
I, I mean, like I said, like my upbringing was kind of what I call hardcore. So I had to like break that habit over time. It took a really long time. It was probably until I started listening to the gaming and BS podcast where I started like really getting into like hearing new ideas about gaming and other people talking about how they run games and hearing Brett and Sean talk about it where I was like, oh, you know, I don't really want to run games that way. I want to run games this way. You know, yeah, so yeah, I think you're right. I think you make a certain it's funny because uh, so this kind of ties in. I don't think I called it about this either, but I had made a note to call because you had said something to the effect of, and I'm not exactly quoting you, but that you like simple kind of mechanics on the monster and for the DM to run, but you like for players to have lots of options to what they can do with their characters. And now that you're saying this, this actually ties in because if you are that person who you know, um, like you, you people are afraid they don't know they can do stuff, right? You want to let them know you can do these all these things. So here's a bunch of lists of things you can do. So I can kind of see that if I'm understanding that correctly. Like for me, because we always played much more wild. Like we never, you know, it's just we do whatever. Like we would watch a, a movie and be like, oh, remember that movie we were watching? I'm doing that. It'd be like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> you know, because we're, you know, that's yeah. how we played. And like that was that was it, right? So like I don't ever think, and I try to I try to capture that as an adult when I play. I try to keep things as loose as possible. So I, I don't like a lot of options because I feel like the opposite happens. So this comes from my five E playing, where people look and they go, okay, well there's a feat that allows me to do a thing, and I don't have that feat. So me as a DM, I have to when they try to do the thing say, well you can't do that because you would be stepping on the toes of this feet. So we yeah, can't allow you no. to because you'll... So the more rules for specialized... Like, okay, you, 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 I'm going to flourish my sword and scare people. Well, that's only something you can do as a fifth-level swordmaster. And so I just can't do it. There's nothing I can do to flourish my sword to scare people. Like, that's the kind of thing that that I, I yeah. bump into with those games. I'm not opposed to it, but I, I do find that can be a restriction. It is, yeah. It's a very gamey thing, right? Like, if yeah. you're playing that, it almost becomes board gamey. So... Per uh, example is I'm working on a science fiction game. I, I love Solar Blaze and Cosmic Spells, uh, but, th but the setting and there's a few things within the game that don't allow me to run kind of like my Mandalorian uh, game to go back to, to, to that. So I'm working on a game. It's called it's called Galactic Grit. Uh, and I started with a very ICRPG slash Shadow of the Demon Lord concept where the characters had these milestones and all these abilities. But then as I was building them, I was like, well, if someone's got the bounty hunter background, they're the only ones that can do this. That doesn't make sense. Like I want, like maybe other people can do it, not as well. So I ended up like canning a ton of stuff because I didn't want to run a game. I just realized I was like, I'm making this too gamey. I want to just be able to play this style of game. So I'm going more with a Barbarians of Lemuria um, concept yeah. where, you know, your character has a background and anything that they can do in the with it related to their background, they're good at it or they have a higher probability of success. And it's more based on their attribute than it is based on the gamification of it. And also, if you're building a game, that's a lot more work. <laughs> like right. if, if you're going to build all the like sub abilities and feats and everything like, right. And make sure that they work. Right. Yeah, yeah. To make sure they work. It's, it's a lot easier just to be like, Oh, you're a bounty hunter. Oh uh, yeah. You can do bounty hunter stuff. What do you, what do you think your bounty hunter can do? Yeah. So yeah. that's, it's, it's no, a much I'm with you on that. easier way yeah. to run a game for sure. Yeah. So I, I think, think that's a good compromise. That style. Sorry, Jason. 
is because okay. it does because because you do hit a wall, right? So I have brand new players. Like I, I love bringing brand new people into things. So I'll be like, come play with my group, and we're all experienced players. And somebody will sit down. They've never played, and I'm playing OSR games, so it's like strength, intelligence, like there's nothing. They have a sword, and they don't know what to do, right? So I do think going, oh, you know, you were also a bounty hunter. Oh, I was a bounty hunter. Yeah. So whatever you think like a bounty hunter might do would be useful for you. I think that's really great, especially for new players to feel like, oh, I have something to start to roll on instead of like, I do whatever you like. It's like, what do I like? Like, what do I do? You know, so I, I do. I, I love, I have only played Barbarians of Laboria once, even though I have like three editions of it. Jason ran it and he did an amazing job. And I really love that system. I love the careers. And I, especially, I like how you get multiple. That's what I really like about it. How you're like, oh, I did this, this, and this. And then you can kind of combine them into a, like a story, right? You could take completely random stuff that doesn't seem to go together and be like, well, you know, I got thrown out of this army, so now I came over here. Or they could all work together. Like my characters worked together because she was like a dancer, assassin, something else. So like it all kind of like worked out. I had an idea of how she used all these different skills. And I love that. I, I think it's a really great way to go. And, but I'm with you on the minimum stuff, but I like minimum all around. Like I like minimum on characters, but I like minimums on DMs. I just like it to be simple, you know, because I feel like that opens up the world. But I do understand the advantage of having some kind of a structure. So, Yeah. And, and when I say options for the players, I like the – so the, my problem with games that don't have – it's it's progression so even as a game master i like to see the players progress like i think it's cool like i'm like what's daniel gonna what's he gonna do on his next milestone or when he gets to the when they get back to the city what kind of training is he gonna buy like as a game master i really want to see that and so when i talk about player options that's i'll go back to shadow demon lord that's why i think it's really cool because i'd like like one of my all-time favorite characters is from my buddy Shadow the Demon Lord game. He was a goblin, and I normally hate playing goblin and orcs because I think goblin and orcs should be evil and only murdered. Uh, so, so when I, so when I, but bugbears so, are fine. <laughs> yeah, but bugbears are cool. So, so I'm playing the goblin, and he started off as a thief, right? And you're like, okay, he's a thief, right? And he had one eye. He gave his eye away to a hag that he was a love slave to. That was his whole backstory. To escape the hag, he gave away his eyeball. Um, and he liked to play tricks on people. So you, this is all random stuff we rolled up, right? And then it's like, okay, he hits his next milestone. I'm like, well, what's he gonna do? We had two thieves in the party. I'm like, well, he's gonna go the assassin route. Uh, my guy's gonna be a warlock. So now he's magical, right? And then the next one, he was a, a curse guy. So he did curses. So he was like a thievy, warlocky, cursy guy. And he had this whole story where he was like a pirate, a river bandit. Uh, one of his professions was asshole, uh, part of my French. Because like I, he just like, I ran out of things to pick. Like, what are, what's this guy going to be? But it created a whole story. And that game is a little more gamey than Barbarians of Lemuria. Barbarians of Lemuria is a little op- more open. So for people that are listening, if you want something more open, Barbarians of Lemuria style system. If you want something that is a little more gamified, a little more coding to it, but still not crazy coding, Shadow of the Demon Lord. Um, and that's what I really liked. And if you go look at a Shadow of the Demon Lord monster stat block, it's very simple. And, but you go look at the character, my character, I had a ton of abilities, like spells and different things I could do to to impact the mechanics of the game. But the game master didn't have to worry about that. It's up to me as the player to to like tell him like, hey, oh, by the way, I get a boon right now because I, my character is a trickster. So he could do something tricky right now and gain a boon. Um, so those are just really, really cool games from my standpoint. And they do something similar, but in completely different ways. 
so that's interesting. Now I'm going to ask a question about this. We're going sideways again. Sorry, Jason. No, so fine. if I'm understanding this correctly, so you, this is supposed to document your 10 big adventures in your life. So yeah. will you do your first adventure? That's your milestone. Then when you jump into the second adventure, I'm assuming based on how you said it, like time has gone by. Is that yes. what happens? And you yes. say, oh, that's I love the way that. It's supposed to work. That's so yeah. great because it's like you have a reason. It's not like, because again, having playing fifth edition where you can multi-class, it's like you're sitting there, you're a fighter. And also you're like, you know what? I want to level a sorcerer. Yeah, okay. and there's a there's a D6 wake up, table. <laughs> there's also a D6 table if you need inspiration, you can roll on it and it will tell you how you got oh, the great. next next thing. So you can do it randomly or you can tell the game master like, "Hey, it makes sense that my character was like a, a hag's like love slave for a period of time. Like he probably read some of her spell books and took some stuff with him. And my character also collected spoons and there was a demon trapped in a spoon. So the demon gave him his spell. It was like a whole thing. It just like, it just organically perfectly happened. Like it nice. was just like this character just developed perfectly. And at the end I was like, wow, this character who I initially hated is probably one of the best characters I've ever had. But, but we should say, the, the idea is, though, you're playing a 10-session campaign. Yes. Or 10-adventure campaign. Well, 10 adventures. The, 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 an adventure may take more than one right. session because of timing, but yeah. Right, but after those 10 adventures, that's it. So it's it's a well in Shell the Demon Lord, the end of the world happens. Yes. So <laughs> that's, that's that's a good way to end it. <laughs> that's the apocalypse. That's so that's another thing about Shell the Demon Lord. That's why Shell the Weird Wizard is coming out, because Shell the Demon Lord has a very specific theme where at the beginning there's an apocalyptic event that occurs and the demon Lord is coming and the player characters can try to stop it. But I mean, are they really going to stop the demon Lord from coming in and devouring the world? Probably not. <laughs> so instead they just have fun with their, yeah, yeah I just yeah, like the idea of, of, of the character when they, when they're effectively leveling, right. They're milestoning up. I love the idea that there's a gap in time. Like I just like that. Cause then it really opens up the world to like, even if you don't really fully play it out, you just spend a couple minutes going, Hey, this is what happened. I kind of did that when I ran Hyperborea. We ran all the modules, and between each module, I jumped forward like a year or two. And then I would say, okay, what's happened? You know, and I love that because they could add things, they could do different things. It makes it so that, like, it's not like, you know, that we go from level one to 10 without stopping, you know, for one second. Yeah. I like so that. to kind of tie this back to Rule Cyclopedia, all right. Yeah. There's, a, there's a training element in there uh, to go and get your weapons training. So I think that we struggled as youths with that because we always, and, and to be fair, so I read Lord of the Rings, I read Dragonlance, I read Wheel of Time, I read David Eddian's The the Belgarian and The Malorian, so I wanted to run epic fantasy. So that's that was what inspired me. So And all my friends read the same thing, so that's what we were all trying to emulate. The problem with that is there's no downtime in those books, right? The characters just get better because they're the heroes of the story, and the story must go on, and they're the chosen ones, and therefore they get strong. But the way D&D my reading of it is set up is it's designed to have downtime and we didn't understand that in our stories. Right. So if you don't build that downtime in there, your character can never go train. If they're in the wilderness for the like eight years, like <laughs> killing orcs for eight years in a row, they can never train. They're never going back to town to meet the weapon master. Or right. if I'm the game master and I set up a story where, Hey, if you guys don't get to the mountain by this time and throw the ring into the mountain and destroy it, then the darkness consumes the land. They're not going to be like, well, I reached level five and to get master, I need to go back and train for a month. You're not going to do that because you've got to get the ring inside the mountain. So that's, that's, I think you have to understand how the game, if, if game has that mechanic, you have to understand that the stories you're going to tell with that game, if you want to achieve those mechanics, you have to know what that means. 
Right. That's a really Although good point. To, yeah. to be fair, um, because J- Joe from Hindsightless is again call in about this. You, you know, we're rereading the Lord of the Rings right now over in the Audio Dungeon Discord. Ray Otis is leading a a, a read of the, the Lord of the Rings over there. And, you know, they spend like three or four months in Rivendell in Fellowship of the Ring. You know, they, they get do. There. It just it takes like a page. It, well, no, it doesn't. No, it takes well, more than a page. It's a pretty long. It's chapter, like but, it's like playing D anD D. You train. It's like it's just five seconds at the beginning of the thing. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, I was I was going to say that Joe was going to call and say that uh, in fact nobody leveled up in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I mean I haven't read it in forever, but I don't remember anybody getting really better. Like we start with uh, the Hobbits get better. The yeah, Hobbits, I think all the little ones do. Yeah, Mary and uh, yeah, Mary and Pippin. Pippin. Yeah, they get. You're right. Yeah, they they get. Yeah, Frodo and Sam just get weaker as they go along. Yeah, Aragorn stop comes into his destiny. So I guess he's yeah. right, but he doesn't really get better as a fighter. He just kind of he it's yeah. more of a a, a character development. But, not like, well, it's not like Luke Skywalker who's up. there can't like use a lightsaber and then all of a sudden he's doing flips, right? Like that's the that's the leveling up. Yeah, true. But Gandalf I know I'm showing Star Wars to Lord of the Rings. Well Gandalf levels up by dying. Yeah, yeah Gandalf levels up on the gray to the white, right? That's definitely a level up when he's Gandalf the White. Well he dies. Yeah, and he levels up when he comes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that that's a reincarnation spell. You rolled high and you got it about <laughs> well, you know, well, also Gandalf Gandalf isn't even a a, a, a magic He's an NPC. Too. I don't want to go back to that. Anyway, yeah, and yeah. Gandalf's an NPC, by the way, too. So we can, yeah. like, right. he's he's yeah, whatever he needs to be. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> to keep the story going. Um, but I, I was gonna bring that up too though about the rule cyclopedia. Yeah. So interesting enough, yeah. like like you're saying, so you have to get you have to be skilled. Like for for the sword, you, you mm-hmm. have to hit the skilled level to be able to add to your armor class and to like deflect blow, disarm, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you have to be third or fourth level before you can hit that skilled level. So third or fourth level, level with the weapon, or third or fourth level character. Character, right? Okay. And okay. then you could you could go train under a master to become to move up in your level mastery, become skilled. At that point, you can disarm and add to your mm-hmm. armor class. And then, you know, it goes up from there because each of these you have to go find a, a master, either a fighter or a mystic, which is the monk who's right. trained in that weapon and pay them money and spend time with them. And then you have to roll to see if you learned from them to level up with your your weapon specialization, which I actually like that system. It's, I it's would like cool. that. I'd like to have that in AD&D mixed. Not I, I actually like this to some degree better than the AD&D weapon mastery. Because Whoa. I like, I know oh, that's weapon mastery. Well, okay, I, yeah, we don't like that at all. I think that's why if I'm running fantasy again and running one of these games, I'm gonna run it. Even if I'm not running Shadow of the Demon Lord or, or Shadow of the Weird Wizard, I'm gonna treat it more of that way to to try to build in more of that downtime so that you can do that. Because that is cool. I mean, if you think about it, like going and training, like okay, like. You know, Daniel's character goes off into the mountains and trains with this like dwarven master for a while. And Jason's wizard goes to the city and builds like creates scrolls and potions and stuff. And then, you know, my my uh, cleric goes to the temple and prays and does different things. And then at some point we come back together again a year later because, you know, we we agreed to meet at the, you know, the 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 end of the five feathers or whatever it is and when we happen to be and when we happen to be there our old mentor shows up and he's like i have a quest for you the realm is in danger again it's like oh that's again of course right you know so 
I just, I never ran things that way. So I never, because we were, and frankly, because I always wanted us to fight dragons. And the only way to fight dragons is to level up really fast. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. So the other system, or or go ahead. I'll let you finish your thought. No, no, you go. Go for it. No. I was going to say the other system that does a lot of these elements, I know Eric hates this game, but, you you know, Dungeon Crawl Classics does this. If your background, if you can if if you can tie something to your background, just like in Barbarians of Lemuria, that lets you roll skilled or, or gives you a bonus when you're rolling those skill checks tied to that background. And because we have the the mighty feats, the the mighty um, deeds with the fighters, you know, even at first level, they can try to swing from chandeliers or disarm and do all these kind of cool yeah. things. Yeah, where yeah, DCC my, my... doesn't do as well as some of these other ones are. You're really only probably going to have one background DCC. I mean, you could build in. On, Daniel's run a lot of DCC, so he might be he can answer that better than I can. Well, just real quick. I mean, yeah, if I'm sitting there and my gong farmer is thinking back to his experience and skills and how we can apply it to fighting this like horde of ghouls, I'm sure he can find something useful in his gong farming. <laughs> there are a lot of other backgrounds in in the game. Well, I guess I've only ever rolled up Gong Farmer, Cheesemonger, Radish Farmer. That's just what Aaron rolls up. Apparently. Yes. Well, you'd be surprised how often somebody could use some kind of a farmer skill. They're like, oh, I'm a farmer. So don't I know about like how, how the weather is and you know how soil would be, erosion? I mean, you can really, you know, again, this is more role play, not combat. It wouldn't help you against the ghouls necessarily. Right, right. Although I feel like the gong farmer and like the methane gas from the you know, extrument might help. Well, my, I'm my, bag of, I'm my bag of night soil is very useful <laughs> yes. in my lucky goat. So exactly. the goat's ropes. Yeah, I, I think so. DCC, I think, is a good example there. Forgetting about the, the the backgrounds, but the mighty deeds. Like, I like that kind of system because you can do it at first level, right? Mm-hmm. You can be a first level fighter and try to intimidate the person, but you're better at it as you level up. So you get you, you can just do whatever you like. So again, I think that's more open ended than a specific feat. But that's just me. You know, again, that's how I like to do it. I will say though, whenever I play DCC, somebody is always a different class and goes, "Well, can I do that?" And then it rolls back to that whole thing, like, "Well, why can't the?" The thief try a mighty deed, or can so, they? Am I so wrong when to say I, they can't? Yeah, when we played, so or at least this is how Carl ran it. When we played DCC, Carl ran DCC for us, and what he allowed was if you wanted to do a mighty deed kind of thing, you could do that, but it was in place of your attack if you were a non-fighter. So a fighter gets to, you, you know, attack and roll the. Okay. Well, they they get it, basically it was that that was your only thing, and you couldn't do damage with it if you did it. So you could try to trip somebody, but okay. it was like a lesser, th- and and it wasn't as good. So what did you do to do it? You, you because so he he just had you roll the attack to. Uh, oh wow! See, Carl's super nice. Wow. Yeah. See, because the thing, the reason why I think that would be hard to pull off is because the way a fighter does it is with the deed die, right? And they're the right. only ones that have it, yeah. <laughs> right? So if you don't have a deed die, how can you nobody do? Yeah, you can't disarm. Dwarf, yeah. You can't disarm then, right? That. So well, he, off, right. Carl let you do, yeah, he, but Carl, yeah. Carl will tell you he's a nice GM. Carl's a, a nice yeah. GM. I so, will yeah. admit that Carl is a very kind and benevolent game master. <laughs> the neckbeards right. would be very upset with him. He he is. Yeah. And, and the same thing, like if somebody asked me, well, can my thief try to do that? I would probably do exactly what Carl did. I often let people do things that aren't, they just don't do it the same, right? The mighty deed is something They're different. not as good. And, and actually with DCC, it's a perfect system to do it. Because you can just have them downgrade their die. Yeah, you, you could just step the die, die down. Yeah, when they yeah. roll to do it. 
you know, so yeah, you just have to roll a successful hit, but now you're rolling a D16 instead of a D20 to hit or whatever. Right, right? but the fighter has to roll a successful hit and get the D yeah, die. Well, well, I realize so. that, but since they don't have a D, or you could just give them, give everybody a, I mean, the D3 is the, the lowest die, I think, in the chain, right? I, I don't remember if there's D2 or that not. we're screwing fighters again? Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Well, no, I'm man, not saying the it's fighters are just getting worked <laughs> over. Yeah, every yeah, I think they have. <laughs> No, but that's the thing, right? As soon as you add a mechanic like that, as awesome yeah. as it is, and and that's a harder thing to justify to a lot of people than, for instance, well, okay, fine. Then why can't my thief cast a spell? Well, they're not a magic user or a cleric. I, I think that's well, some games to... thieves can cast spells, though. Yeah, they can. Well, they that's can true. Well, BX they can cast <laughs> scrolls, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, think, I think spells are easier to justify why you can't do that than anybody trying to pick up a swing a sword, right? Or or to do a what whatever. Um, I, I actually, you know, this came up over the deck heater and RPG podcast recently with a call in. And although he agreed with me that first level fighters should be better, have a be better fighting than first level other classes, you know, he mentioned that he would let any first level character try to turn undead like first level cleric. <laughs> I would let personal, and I've said this in the past, I would let any pious, anybody that's played their character piously, I would let them try to turn undead with the holy symbol as a first level cleric, if they're pious and played that so, way. Go ahead. I think that's fine, except that his example was actually a bad one. Because yeah, he agree. said, well, it's based on hammer horror, the 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 scene, not even hammer, a universal horror, actually. Yeah, uh, the scene with uh turning back Dracula with the crucifix. Well, guess what? Everybody can do that in D D. Right. Yeah. So well, I'll bring a vampire world yeah. example into this. It's not turning undead because I've never faced off against vampires yet. But oh, no. um, <laughs> growing up, I didn't grow up around firearms. Um, we, I had a BB gun, like a Red Rider, but it wasn't like a it's not like a real firearm. And I joined the Navy. Keep your eye out, kid. Yeah, when I was in the Navy, the um, <laughs> the firing range was closed down at boot camp because of too much lead, and they're building a new firing range. So I never even got to shoot a gun in boot camp. So I, I get to my submarine like four years later after boot camp, and they're like, all right, it's post 9-11, so we all had to qualify firearms because of the security threat level. And um, they took us to the gun range. Literally never shot a real gun in my life. Um, they hand me the Beretta 9mm. They tell us they show us how to use it real quick. I go through it. I qualify sharpshooter, highest level for the pistol in the Navy. Never shot a gun in my life. <laughs> so there is some like ability for someone to grab a sword and disarm someone if it can happen. Like it just, but I've also just seen people. Well, well, I mean, I was fair, in the army and a lot of people failed their marksmanship <laughs> many yeah, times right. basic training. So yeah, but, it's not like everybody can do it. Yeah, right. True. And to be fair, <laughs> that's a good did they just put a pistol in your hand, have you shoot, or did they give you a, a quick basic marksmanship instruction? And and you they literally to said, here's the mag release, here's the slide release. You and it was one of those, the one we did in the Navy, you had to run back and forth. So you had to run, come back, fire four rounds, discharge, load, fire four. And like I went like full on rain man. Nice. <laughs> and most like I never even I've never shot a pistol, let alone a like a, a rifle. Maybe I shot like a 22 at my grandpa's house. Like 
rifle, like, which is almost not much up from a, a BB gun or whatever. But yeah, like I run and I run around and they, then they give me the M16 and I qualified, I didn't qualify as sharpshooter and then I only qualified expert. And then we go to the M60 shoot because we had to have pure gunners is the name of the term. And I worked in the engine room and they normally, normally let engine room guys be pure gunners. But I was one of only six people to qualify with the M60. Like, literally never seen a machine gun in my life. And they're like, go ahead and shoot it. I'm like, burp, 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 burp. and they're so, like, oh, yeah, you qualified. Well, you know what that is? You, what it is is that you're a fighter. Yeah, I'm a fighter. That's what it is. It's, I'm a fighter. I, I was a level one fighter, and I didn't, even know, so, didn't even know it. So, so I, to, to Daniel's point to, and to both yeah. of your points, yeah, it's frustrating when you're playing a game and you're like, I want to disarm them. And I'm like, you can't. Well, why not? Well, mechanically, if I gave you that, then it would trump the fighter's mighty deed. I, you know, you, you and on the spot to come up with math that's fair is difficult, right? Like, because just going from a D20 to D16, it's probably not fair. Because to Daniel's point, they have to hit and they have to. I don't remember. Do you have to roll a one or a two, or is they it have a roll, one? You have to roll three, three on the D die, and it's a D3 first level. So you've yeah, got a yeah. 33% after you hit. So after yeah, you hit, I, which, which yeah. might have been a 25% chance to hit. So right. multiply those two, you get your probability. And then you go to the th- the the thief, and you're like, "Yeah, I'll roll a d16." It's probably yeah. not fair, right? It's, I mean, it's cool that Carl is nice, but it's probably right. not fair to the fighter. Yeah, well, my my story for this is really funny. My friend Tony, I was like, he he had uh, there was this guy, and he had metal armor, and uh, and he was uh, I had a character throw an oil at him, like a thing, but we didn't have anything sharp. I'm like, I'm gonna shoot him with my bow and try to make a spark, and he goes. Kind of far away to hit his armor, you're gonna have to roll, uh, you know, really high. So I roll a natural 20. He's like, You hit him dead on in the armor, it clicks off. There's a spark, nothing. <laughs> he's like, You wouldn't light it on fire. He's like, You think one spark from your thing's gonna light up a thing? Well, he's like, That didn't work. Like, there's no way that's gonna work, but you could try. You didn't know. And it was just really funny because I, I did it, but he didn't let me do it because it's like, I didn't know enough. He's like, If your character knew more, I would have said, There's no way that'll work. But how would you know that? You had no way of knowing that. You're some, yeah. you know, peasant fighter with no experience. So if I was a high level fighter, he's like, I would have told you, hey, that's not gonna work. You would know that right now. You can't make a Daniel, in, like my, that. in my game, because I like cinematic action, that totally would have worked. He probably would have exploded. Too. <laughs> Mine too, exactly. <laughs> there would have been like multiple explosions, you know, it's like his yeah. horse would have blown up. <laughs> it would have been like a Michael Bay film, like at that <laughs> <Exactly>. point. <laughs> oh yeah, one hundred percent. He knew what I was going for. But yeah, it was just but he was like, you know, his game is a little more realistic. And he was like, You wouldn't know that, so I didn't tell you. And Plus, I thought you were going to miss anyways. You need a natural 20. And I, of <laughs> yeah, course, I got it. Yeah, 5% chance. Yeah, yeah it's like, but I, I nailed it. But, you know, again, he it, that's to the thing, right? You can always try something which might not succeed. So you could do that. You could say, well, you, think you can try to disarm this guy. And then yeah, you attack him. You hit. Yeah, he doesn't lose his weapon, but you do damage. You think he's just holding on to it too tight. Yeah, I've do done it. that before, do that. too. I've done that before, too. Because yeah. at some point, you're like, you're like, hey, this guy's like a master fighter. Like, it's just like me. If I were to, like, walk up and punch... Like if if I were to hop in the ring with Mike Tyson, sure I could knock him out. <laughs> Maybe I don't even know. Like, but probably not, right? Like, like a like a point zero 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 one percent chance if I had like brass knuckles inside my glove. Right. Maybe, yeah. Right. So you better hope you knock him out is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, my head's coming off. Right. So, so cool. were, were there any other points that we that, that you had there, Daniel? No, I think you were talking about scrolls. I can't remember what you guys were discussing. That I, oh, I'm just the idea scrolls. of creating them at lower level. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I agree uh, that it's you ninth level is too long to wait. But I don't love uh, 
making scrolls super easy to make because I feel like see my whole philosophy on this is that I don't think giving the magic user a few more spells makes them better. Like if you're running a magic user and you think they suck because they only have one spell, giving them two spells or three spells, it doesn't fix that. Like mm-hmm. they'll just the same person will just cast those three spells. I think that uh, but to your point of using them for like read magic and stuff, I think that's fair. You know, I, I don't know. I don't think this is a good solution there personally. I've done all those things, but I think in the end, if you want to play a magic user, you just play them like a magic user and they just use their intelligence and you just don't worry about it. I don't love giving magic users more spells personally. That's just my personal taste. That was Jason's thing. He was talking about adding scrolls. Yeah. It's not actually no, to, to, to pimp another episode of Jason, probably one of my <laughs> most listened to episodes on the Omega 3 Chicken Coop podcast is Vancy and Magic and why I hate it. And oh, yeah, that's magic. a very inflammatory statement. <laughs> uh, so you can go listen to the podcast if you want. But I think that mages should, wizards should just be able to read magic. I don't think they need a spell. That like they should be able to do an intelligence check or some sort of thing, and they can either read it or they can. I don't think they have to have a spell for it. That kind of just sucks because now it's like that's their one spell. Like it, it's like, do I have light? Do I have read magic? Do I have detect magic? Like I think wizards should innately be able to read magic, detect magic. And potentially counter spell if they're powerful enough. I don't think they need to know a spell. And I know that goes against the fancy and magic thing. That's why I don't like fancy and magic because it's not my version of fantasy magic. Um, I prefer spell casting that draws on either mana or a character's life force. Like it drains them to cast a spell. And uh, I have I've thought about this a lot. If I was running, so first off, if I was running rule cyclopedia your level one hit points would be your constitution plus your hit die and magic spells would be like four hit points per level of the spell you're casting so a first level spell would cost you four hit points and they would recover faster than regular hit points would because you're just draining energy right so if you were able to get a good night's rest maybe you can recover one hit dies like a full hit die not rolling like you can recover four hit points a night or whatever if you're resting in a nice inn eating bread and eating drinking eating mutton drinking ale and you can recover four hit points a day or whatever but i i just that's why i don't like fancy and magic because i i like it more of like you're drawing on your essence to bend reality to your will like that's how i view magic typically and then maybe you have an item like you have a magic sword. So uh, a pimp, another thing of mine, uh, if you go to the Omega 3D Chicken Games website, there's Omega 3D Basic Ultimate Edition on there, which is a free game you can download. It's a D6 uh, dice pool system based on uh, No Thank You Evil and um, the Year Zero Engine. But that's how that game works is like you draw on your health, but then you can draw on your magic item. So if you have a magic sword, it has a number of magic points you can draw on, and that recharges overnight. So the more magic items a, a wizard, a magical character has, they can draw on these different powers. And then when that runs out, though, then they're drawing on themselves because they they no longer have these magic items to draw on. So it 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 like encourages a magical character to like hoard magic items so they can draw on these magical weapons. But then when you draw all the magic out of this magic sword, guess what? It can't do magic stuff anymore and it might break like before it was unbreakable, but you've drawn all the magic out of it. So if you try to parry the dark Lord's ax blow, it might shatter it. And then you'll have to reforge it later because you're the heir to, to, to Gondor. Interestingly enough, yeah. The, so the second fancy role-playing game, you, mm-hmm. you know, Tunnels and Trolls, 
basically does this. You you, yeah. you drain your in the original rules, you, your strength is what powers the major spells. So as they cast spells, it, you know their strength decreases, and you can get magic stabs that you can infuse with with power to use that, and you, and you can burn up the power in the staff, you know, so you're not draining your own strength. Yep. You know, to bolster it. So yeah, the other thing I was thinking too when you were describing it is you basically just recreated psionics but called it magic. Like that's oh, almost exactly how psionics work. And, and I didn't read anything about psionics. So well, no, I, no, it's yeah. the same kind of thing. But yeah, you know, because yeah. what I like about your solution a lot there is that well, first of all, drawing for the magic items is really cool because I've seen people talk about this before. Oh, you got to cut yourself and you bleed. And then you, my magic user has four hit points. I'm going to lose two hit points every time I cast a spell. That's lame. So giving them more hit points helps. But faster healing or a different kind of healing for this, I think, is a much uh, much more sensible way to go in my mind. It's not like being – you're not cutting yourself. You're draining your essence, right? Almost like if you think about um, in Dragonlance, right, the, uh, the the wizard that's with them in the beginning. He becomes Basically. evil later on. Like every Basically. time he casts a spell, he's very weak, right? Because it's like yeah. it has that feeling, even though it's not D&D rules, but that's really cool, right? I like that a lot. I think my only issue with the hit points equal your con, which I've seen people talk about before, is – if you don't then increase weapons damage, then I mean I'm assuming this goes or is this just something PCs have? Because if that's if the average person's con is nine, that means a sword can't kill an average person in one hit. Right. Yeah. And, and, so, you know, so unless you're making that a special PC thing. And so that's just and again, you might not care about that because that might not yeah. be important to you, but it depends on your game. So for me, I love the idea that a normal human is almost certainly going to be killed if you hit them with a the weapon. So like that makes regular people or player characters that that is. That with six or seven or eight hit points more powerful because your normal guy with four hit points, well, two and a half average, right, is going to die if you hit him once. So giving everybody more hit points, uh, the inflation is – so I might do – I mean, based on what you're saying there, if I was now digging into your system, is I might do exactly what you did but make that the magic points. You know? Yeah, no, that, that's I love totally, that idea. That's, yeah, a, that's, that's another way to do it. Yeah. And um, Love that. So when I that are, get your game, I'll hack it, and that's what I'll do. Yeah, well, I am <laughs> building a game called Galactic Grit, as previously nice. pimped, and I'm going to be playtesting at BSRCon 3 here in a couple weeks. Nice. And that game uses a hit point system, but no one could ever have more than six hit points for an organic entity. Oh. Non-organic nice. entities can't have more hit points. But six hit points, that is like the maximum life force. And, um, but when you go to zero, you're not necessarily dead. You might be injured and you can like make a save and still be alive and kind of fight through it cinematically. But yeah, I agree with you, Daniel, that you have to kind of decide. So in Galactic Grit, I do want a laser blast or a sniper rifle to be able to kill someone in one shot. So I had to make a hit point system that fits that. So if you want a fantasy system that fits that, where a player character can be struck down by a single blow, then yes, that would not work. But if you want something where it's heroic and you don't want the player characters to be able to be felled with a single blow and it's more, they have to be worn down. Like it's Boromir and he has to have like eight arrows stuck inside of him. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very iconic scene in my head. I don't know if it was eight arrows. I don't think it was that many, but that's in my head. He's like a pin cushion. He's like filled right. with arrows at the, in that scene. Right. Then, yeah, you want to raise up the hit points so that that, storytelling can happen sure even if it's only for the pcs no i agree with the 100 because yeah. i definitely like a more heroic pc but i like a more grounded regular people so i, I don't mind having yeah. different rules for the player characters than regular people because regular people the, don't even, the regular people don't even have hit points like you hit them with a sword they're dead they dead, they dead. Yeah. <laughs> that's like no, that that's like the, the, when you do that in a game and the yeah. player characters like i attack the barkeep i'm like and you and you're and you i don't know you're just like 
you're and you don't want to get into the whole why would your character attack a barkeep thing like okay like i'm gonna i roll to attack i oh i rolled a five to hit i'm like yeah you fucking hit him part part of my language jason yeah you hit him it's a bartender he's standing there <laughs> trying to serve you mutton you pulled out your sword and you chopped him in the head he's dead like, what he's dead <laughs> yeah he's dead you can, like attacked him with a sword that's if you want to make a point i guess with a a, a problem player character <laughs> No, totally. I love that. And I, I love all different ways. I personally love fantasy and magic for my own reasons, but I totally get why some people don't and they like other systems. I just think in a Vancean system, because which is what we're talking about here, just giving somebody a couple more spells doesn't solve the problem. I, the problem, if there is a problem, I think that being a magic user is a certain thing and you could change the magic user in other ways. Like I'd be more open to magic users using swords than I would be, you know, giving yeah, I think more you spells, have to you know? have them find scrolls. You you have yeah, to make it so fine. they find scrolls and they find wands and their resources they have to utilize. Right. So it becomes a point of like, well, I have this sleep scroll. Is this the time to use it or do I use my wand of magic missiles? Yeah. No, 100%. So, I, you know, it's just different ways of, of doing the same thing, really. But I just think that that's really what it's at. I think a lot of times people just add two things thinking that's going to solve the issue, but the issue isn't necessarily that if there's an issue at all, right? It's just if you're trying to fix a magic user because it's not magical enough, just giving them more spells, I don't think does does that. I, not not to me anyway. That's what I've found because I've tried all this. I've given them wands. I've had led them make the scrolls. What they do is a player that's used to casting a lot of spells, like a 5 e player, uses all those scrolls right away. And then they have no spells. They're like, my character's useless. Well, <laughs> you know, well, that's because you used all your scrolls. But if you only had one spell and you use that, you would have said the same thing. So instead, we added all these rules so you can still say the same thing halfway through the adventure. <laughs> it's like instead of doing that, like I love what you're talking about, being able to interpret magical. The way that I use things like read magic is I only use them on things that are truly magical. Like they can read arcane writing and that kind of stuff, like that magic, right? But the magic stuff they can't read is like spells have been cast upon something to hide its true self, right? That That's well, when I use a spell like that. I know this isn't played in Jason's podcast, but you mentioned in your call in talking about like, this goes back to the moving silent thing, like moving your feet and walking barefoot. And you're saying like, well, the game master shouldn't even make you roll to move silently at that point. Cause you're being silent. What mm -hmm. I can tell you is in my, once again, anecdotal experience, mm -hmm. that is not common in game master right. game mastery. Like, Many game masters, I think, feel like we're playing a game. Therefore, the dice must be part of the game and the dice yeah. determine the outcome and not necessarily the fact that you did something intelligent as a player. And I, as a game master, say that's fairly reasonable. You just simply succeed because how are they going to hear your like if I if I'm walking on a stone floor, it's not like Stone Floors Creek. You know what I mean? Like in my house, yeah, you could say like, oh yeah, they're, the floorboard could creak or or whatever. But if you're walking on a flagstone floor barefoot and there's a sentry like over there like half asleep, because I've been a, a sentry watch before, it's really hard to stay awake, by the way. I'm sure Jason's <laughs> like, you're probably not detecting someone sneaking up on you. So if someone, if a player character does that, yeah, you'd be like, yeah, you sneak up on them or you you make your way down the hallway. But that, in my anecdotal experience, that's not how the game is played typically yeah. in the past, no. even currently. Well, I agree with you. I think, and, and it's funny because even me who says this, I can say whatever I want, but I have the same thing. Like I help players make these amazing ideas and I'll be like getting ready to say to roll something, but I'm like, why do they need to roll? Like it's, yeah, they just spent five minutes explaining exactly how they're doing this. They did all the right thing. They talked to the people, they got the research. It works. Sometimes I feel like that's a little, uh, oh, 
okay, we don't get to play it out, but you know, you can play that up by having the narrate, you know, et cetera. Yeah. But you're right. People do that. And I've actually had people tell me, cause when I was running 5e, I was like, they would talk or something and I'd be like, oh yeah, well we have a 18 charisma, you know, that was a really good approach. You, you succeed. And they're like, I don't need to roll. Like, no, like, no, you don't need to roll. I, like, you I, had, that in my, I had that in yeah. my Humblewood game. <laughs> the the player character made a very impassioned plea to um, an NPC they had captured, and it was it was really good. Uh, Mark, if you ever listened to this, excellent. I even told you at the time, and at the end, it was like, yeah, they they totally agree with you. And he's like, I don't need to roll. I'm like, no, I mean that was that was awesome. <laughs> like I got nothing for you. Like, yeah, they, they, yeah, you don't need to roll. Like, okay, you yeah, roll with a plus 30, I guess. <laughs> right. You tell them if you really want to roll. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what I've heard is people will tell me, well, I built this character this way. I want to be able to use my skill. But to me, I'm like, well, you used it. You have an 18 charisma. You talked. I mean, but you know, again, so I, I do think you're right. I mean, people do want to use things that are in there. So when you say to somebody, I'm sneaking. They want to use a sneak rule. They don't want to just go, okay, I sneak like this. It takes time. Like in, And again, I started playing without the thief, without skills, because I went straight OD&D, three little brown books, and it took my players a little bit to figure it out. Like now they do. They know how to sneak around. They just do it. And if it makes sense, then they don't have to roll. You know, who gets to decide? Me, which again, could be problematic if you don't have a GM that's open-minded. And I'm also very open to, and they know this because I've played with this group for like five, six years now. But then if I say make a, if I say something and they're like, oh, but really, what about I will listen? Like I'm not gonna because they don't argue everything. And half the time when they do argue, they're right, <laughs> or more than half. Like yeah. if they say something, they're probably right. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, 100. You're right. Yeah, you would be able to do that because you know they, they, they I know I have good players that are that are uh, open to that. And I think that's it. The conversation of the game is a, is just a very specific way of playing that I like to play. So that kind of comes down to my play yeah, style. If I want to play a very yeah. prescriptive type game, I'm going to play Hero Quest. Like I I think I even mentioned this on on my my podcast where I was like if I want to do dungeon crawl I'm just going to play Hero Quest because it's very prescriptive. There's no role playing. It's got like very specific rules. If we just want to go in a dungeon and kill a bunch of monsters, we're playing Hero Quest because it, it, that's what it's designed to do, right? But if I want to play like a story then I don't want the rules to necessarily, and I'm I, I'm not perfect at this either. Like sometimes I'll, like like in my like you know sitting in bed at night thinking about like oh I ran that game, eh, well you know what Eric you got a little gamey there. Like why'd you do that? You know what I mean? You, you like think about that. Like yeah. like why did I ask for a role there? It should have just happened probably. No, one hundred percent. And it's funny you say that because I was saying a similar thing in a conversation. I was like, I don't have hair quest, but I, I was talking to somebody. and They're like, oh, you know, because they're running for the edition. They're like the character, they like this many battles. They like to do this. They just like to use their skills. I said, I wonder if that particular player that like literally like yawns and walks away from the table when anything but a combat is going on, wouldn't it be better off playing like a miniature skirmish game? Like maybe that's what they want, you know? And that's yeah. and that's okay. Like that's totally fine if that's what they're looking for because that might suit them better than playing D and D where only let's say a third of your game is that, right? Yeah, they should play Frostgrave. Yeah, they should like just Frostgrave. like yeah, go pick that up and play. Yeah. yeah, it's like if you're playing a mech game, and I love Mecha Hack. Another plug if anyone loves mech role-playing game mech hacks awesome but if you just want to do like fighting go play battle tech you know right. or or uh what's the other game i can't remember the name of it it's there's another mech fighting game that's that's like a skirmish game but yeah it's it's a definitely a, a difference you have to think about like what are you trying to get out of this game right exactly it's funny you were talking about mechs a while back on your podcast and I, and I went on amazon and i bought like this little mech kit like to build like a little mech i don't know if it was the one you were talking about but i was just like i'm looking for stuff they're like maybe like six or eight inch tall mechs i was like oh i'm gonna buy a mech and i'm gonna do some 30, kind of battle 30, 30 minute missions 
Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. So I, I yeah. think I got it from what you said. So I was like, oh, I bought one. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a mech combat that I only bought one. I haven't done it yet, but, but I plan on it because it just sounded so cool. I have a pile. I'm actually staring at, there's 30 Minute <laughs> Sisters too, which is uh, anime babes you know, oh. with guns and lasers that are the same scale as the robots. And uh, <laughs> and I actually have a pile of battle mechs. Before I came on the podcast with you guys, I was super gluing battle tech mechs together and I just primed some in the garage. So uh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's super fun. Yeah, you totally got me like pumped up when I was listening to you do that. And I went out and bought one. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I just bought one, though. So I was like, let me try it first. Uh, but I haven't built it yet because I have like a stack of miniatures. I have that that stack of like, I need to paint slash prime. Ugh. <laughs> Falling into that oh, category. Well, I, I, have a 3D, I also have a 3D printer and I'm oh, staring nice. at a pile, a, a legion <laughs> of gray miniatures that are judging me the fact that they have no colors on them. <laughs> Oh my god, too funny. Uh, well, Jason, we've probably been going a while here, yeah. like two hours. That's true. I'm yeah. sure you don't want a two-hour-long podcast. Uh, well, I think we've covered most, in, uh, unless we, Dan I call it other a, points that, that we have. No, I think that's everything I called. I look back yeah. at all my calls yeah. I was making. Then I stopped, like I said, when you guys talk about the positive stuff. Like I loved all the talk about the mystic and the like. Yeah. But you know, I figured that uh, I, I, I thought I would remember what you said, and I didn't make notes. So, but uh, yeah. It, it, in general, I, it really got me looking at it again. Like I said, when I first picked that thing up, I was like, because again, I had got it and I was like, this is the Holy Grail. I'll never need anything else. And as I flipped through it, I was like, oh, this is probably more than I care for. And I kind of put it on my shelf. So you definitely got me looking at it again with this conversation. So it's, it's very cool. Um, and I'm probably going to like read the world now because I'm, I'm curious about the known world parks. I haven't really delved into that, you know. Any right. of that, like well, any of the gazetteers or anything like that, which I think are all connected gazetteers to are fantastic. Yeah. Like you can even you can even take a gazetteer and just say, I'm gonna use this one and put it into my world here, or 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 adapt even the names and be like, I'm not gonna use these names, but I, I this is pretty cool. Like the Broken Lands. Broken Lands, we never left the Broken Lands in Carl's game, and we played a ton in that. Like and it, it's it's a cool, it's a cool area. It's just there's there's a lot there. There's a lot of meat on the bone with some of this stuff. If you wanted like a standard kind of fantasy game, cool. yeah, definitely. But yeah, that was great. So yeah, well, thanks for having me on. That was really fun. I, I, I you know, I was like, oh, I, I you know, I, this is. I was like calling us so much. I'm like, then when Jason was like, you should just come on. I'm like, oh, that'll be fun. I really want to dig into this because it's. It, you got like I said, you got me looking at it. It's very cool to like see these various games that I never played. Like how people come up like i said when you were talking about the art i was thinking that was exactly me when i was a kid sitting there but it was the AD&D books you know flipping through them rolling on the tables it's just everybody has a different game that they started with and that definitely influences how they see the game i'm sure whether we like it or, you know whether you like it or not like that first game you played is important to you whether you're playing that game anymore or not it does definitely stick with you i think yeah 100% for sure well thank you so much for coming on and discussing that with us and eric thank you for coming back on to talk with daniel about this Hey, you said I get to talk to Daniel Norton. I never talked to him in person, so that was that was enough of incentive for me. <laughs> now you just need to come to ShireCon so you can play with us all in person. Yeah. Well, Dan, Dan, don't Daniel, don't you you live in the New York, New York City, Greater New York area, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I I have a, a family that lives on Staten Island, and oh. we're gonna go there this summer. So when we do that, I will make sure that that I look you up, and if we can somehow connect, uh, that'd be awesome. Get a drink or play a game or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or play mechs. I'll get another mech. <laughs> eat a slice of pizza and have a have a beer or something. I'd take that too. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Okay, well, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much. Check out the Omega 3D Chicken Coop that Eric's on and check out all of Daniel's 
things. Daniel has a media empire with Bandits Keep. He has a podcast, a YouTube channel, an actual play YouTube channel. We have some products on Drive Through RPG. There's the Monsters and Treasures podcast with KR. Um, lots of stuff out there. Um, am I missing anything for either of you guys that you want to plug? No, just tell. make sure if you call Monsters and Treasure that you make sure you agree with me. It's very important. Kara's getting a big head because <laughs> Jason's been agreeing with them lately. It's tough. I'm, I'm, I'll add that to my podcatcher and uh, and get in there then. No, it's a good podcast. Yeah, it's a, it, highly recommended. But all, all these are great podcasts. But I, I, yeah, I think Monsters and Treasures is a lot of fun. Really enjoy it. And you've just released another uh, call-in episode, which, of course, is very popular because your call-in episodes are more popular than your regular they episodes. They are. <laughs> which is funny. But Okay. Well, again, thank you so much. We're going to wrap it up, folks. Mm-hmm. I want to thank Ray Otis for the coffee cup clip art. The I want to thank TJ for the wonderful music. I want to thank my two guests. I want to thank Riley for calling in, Rob over down the heap for sending in that message by email and until next time be excellent to each other Joking about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could see him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustman in your moil's body tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are arising and the world's gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck